Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Jawar Jordan hits the hole off right tackle. Jordan, here he goes. This place is going to rock. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Missouri still trying to get set from the end zone. Cook throws wide. Sixty-five Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Here's King from the pocket, flush to his right with six, five, going to loop it downfield, and ball is caught. Touchdown, Georgia Tech. With one second to go in the ball game, Christian Leary pulls it in. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. They pitch it left. Williams goes down. And USC wins the game in triple overtime. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Trey Benson off to the races. One guy to beat. High stepping. He got smoked for the Hokies. Touchdown. 85 yards. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. All right, here we go on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon. This is 365 Sports. I'm David Smoke. This is Craig Smoke, and that's Paul Catalina. 
And we have a little college basketball news off the top. Oh, really uh, is a blip, uh, uh, just a little bit of a drop in the ocean. But we'll get to that on the infractions slash penalties assessed to KU on what has been a long-going investigation that even included the FBI. Also, we'll look at a couple of other five or six notes in college football. We appreciate you very much for being a part of what we do on an everyday basis. All right, so Kansas, this has been uh, part of an investigation that's lasted for, it seemed like, at least three to four years. In a decision announced Wednesday, the NCAA's accountability review, this is a part of, rather than going in front of the, uh, uh, I guess, Committee on Infractions, you can have this secondary, like, mediation, so to speak, like a completely unbiased group. Ultimately, judging this is a level two case against Kansas, uh, uh, five allegations of level one. Uh, Ultimately, judging this is a level two case, the resolution panel giving Kansas a three-year probation, slap on the wrist, with no effect on the program's postseason status, they can make it postseason. Head coach Bill Self was initially charged with a level one violation, has been suspended for four games last year, was instead charged with level two. Curtis three level three Curtis Townsend who was suspended four games also uh, had uh, his degree reduced from level one to level two and a level three violation neither coach faces show cause order which could have also been applicable for level one violations they will have to vacate uh, the 2018 season which from their perspective um, the NCAA let Silvio DeSosa play during that time and ruled on it then and take down the Final Four banner uh, that they have from that. But that's really the most severe thing that happened to them was vacating those wins because it makes them now no longer the winningest program in college basketball history. But uh, that's, that's, due time. That's, six, that's six years of work of which the FBI did most of it six years ago. And that's what the NCAA and this independent um, council came to and just kind of shows you, like, why there needs to be reform. Not that, like, I, I very intentionally will not take a stance on this, but it is... Uh, I no, will you're, t- you're not going to get away with it. I will that. take the stance that every penalty needs to be the same. Like, if the three of us all robbed the same bank, we should go to jail for the same amount of time. Right. Like, it... Um, so either, you know, be fair to Oklahoma State and Louisville and all those other ones or don't. Like, I, I you know, I didn't think anything was going to happen, but this just shows why the NCAA needs reform because the fact that it took six years to get to this. And then you're also, look, at, from Kansas's perspective, you're hanging it over their head all this time, right? Not really. So, I mean, not, but like you no, all. You think they were ever worried about this? I mean, probably Bill not. Bill Self lost like, a night of sleep. Bill Self have like a video of him with the uh, chain on and all yeah, that after all this so, happened. Yeah. So like, was he worried about this? I don't yeah. think It's so, not what man. happened to Oklahoma State, but they also released a statement saying they agree with today's decision. And of course, in the same conference, Craig, uh, here's Oklahoma State. We agree, as we stated at the time, that the NCAA should be intentional in prescribing penalties that do not negatively impact student athletes, including including bans from postseason play for violations that occurred years prior. It is good to see the NCAA make decisions with this intent, even if it was too late to help us. Yeah, I don't think Kansas was ever worried about this one bit. I think, if anything, they flaunted that they weren't worried about it. So, you know, to to that end, uh, they were, you know, 
I guess, correct in doing so, the the feeling that they didn't have anything to really worry about. And, yeah, it sucks to lose some wins, uh, Final Four appearance in that year as well. Um, but, yeah, I think that they'll be just fine, and it certainly beats any type of alternative where you could have had much harsher penalties. I think that, you know, this brings to a close the long saga of that 2017 report that blew everything open and was going to kill college basketball and did nothing of the sort. Um, that was a bit overblown. Imagine that by the media at the time. And, um, you know, that's now all done. All those cases are wrapped up. Um, and so Kansas, the, the last in, uh, in that set. And uh, now I guess everybody moves on to some extent. But, yeah, I think with a lot of questions in mind and a lot of, you know, changes needed for the future to make this, I think, a more transparent process and just to make more sense of it all because it's all very confusing on what constitutes what versus this team and why is Oklahoma State like the poster child of getting, you know, like the biggest punishment. And I know that you just read their statement, but they've been obviously very active today in in responding to what was handed down to KU. So, I mean, I'm glad it's all over and all wrapped up. Uh, but I don't feel like outside of the initial reporting on it, it was ever that big of a deal really in the grand scheme of things. Like, you can disagree with that, but I don't feel like it ever took over front-page news and was like, this is the end. Because oh, that's I, the way I, it was portrayed, like, the, the first time the yeah. report came out. And literally, what's different about college basketball, really, from then until now? I, I don't know how much really is different, and I don't know how much you really scared away others from, you know, trying to uh, potentially do similar things in the future. So, good for KU that – um you know, there weren't harsher penalties, and they can move on, and that everybody else can move on. Um, but, yeah, just glad to see this wrapped up, and hopefully it leads to some better enforcement and just a, a better, clearer way of uh, how things operate when it comes to these universities and their programs and these uh, rule, rule-breaking rule uh, allegations. There's one thing you want to avoid, period. You can take away banners. You can, you know, you don't want to lose a national championship. Kansas can spit out Final Four appearances with the best of them. You do not want a postseason ban. That's what Oklahoma State got. Uh, You're not going to get that. Kansas is very fortunate, but at the same time, if you're a KU fan, you might want to say, well, wait a minute. Here's what taking down a banner to me means. It's like saying Reggie Bush didn't win the Heisman Trophy. Taking down a banner, and especially like a place like Kansas or anywhere, is like changing whatever you have when it comes to your drapes. It doesn't – I mean, look – Eventually, that banner will find its way back up there in a few years. When the, like because the NCAA we know is on the on the way to being different. They're like they have committee after committee after committee trying to figure out how to make the rules different, how to make the enforcement different, how to do this. And I do think part of that is that um, eventually schools going to go. Hey, can we just all the wins we had to vacate for all that other stuff? Can we just put that back because it doesn't really seem like that's really that. First of all. It vacating wins has deterred nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. And all it does is try to pretend like, well, this happened because we caught this team in a violation when, you know, if you want to vacate wins for every NCAA violation that's ever happened, then probably nobody's ever had a win ever. Yeah, is is it is it uh it, it's interesting, but uh that's that's the story. When this first came down, like Craig mentioned, this was like everybody, oh, my God, this is the biggest scandal in the history of anything. And then here we are years later, and really there was very little that was done. Okay, and so here's where Kansas was able to take advantage and game the system a little bit. Because everything that they were in trouble for, not everything they were in trouble for, but the stuff that they are in trouble for is now accepted practice and they're finding a way to make it legal and profitable for everybody involved. So to punish Kansas now that it took six years, and in those six years 
hey, uh, Adidas giving money to a kid for going to Kansas is totally legal now, in a sense. How is it, how is it going to punish them now? That you're like, well, before it was legal, you did it, but now we've made it legal in large part because the FBI had this whole investigation to things, and maybe it made us realize that, you know, we can't really keep out ahead of this, and we have to make it work for us instead of against us. Yeah, it, 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 yeah there you go. Craig, anything else on that? No, I just don't think Kansas ever cared that they cheated. I don't think they were ever really worried about this, and I think most people figure this was probably the outcome. I know they self-imposed penalties and all that, and uh, not making them out to be a bad guy in any way, but it just feels like it was one big hype bubble that <laughs> affected some you know, programs worse than others. Um, but, you know, not surprised that KU's getting, uh, getting what they want really in the end as compared to the worst-case scenario. So, yeah, good for them. They can move on, like I said. Everybody else can move on. Um, some will have, you know, uh, harsher feelings about how it all worked than, than others, like a Mike Boynton, for example. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I just think the whole thing's confusing. The whole thing doesn't make a, a lot of sense in, in the grand scheme of things. And we can retroactively try to say, well, it really wasn't that bad because it was legal. It was, you know, it's legal now all we want. But, you know, that, that, that's an argument that doesn't really matter anymore because it's case closed now. And, and it's moving on regardless of – of uh, you know how everybody feels about it, so that's that's case closed, and uh, we move forward, and uh, you know we'll see what kind of uh, I guess system is put together, and, and how this is you know all dealt with moving forward, especially this NIL era. It's a lot more con- you know it's a lot more open, like Paul said, and it's a lot of these issues would not be as much of issues, and so um, yeah, just curious kind of how all these types of things are handled, uh, you know, in the in the coming years of the last let's say five years, Paul, Greg. Of anybody that looked like they were about to get the hammer, North Carolina, did they get hammered? Uh, yeah, initially, but then they, they won they the appeal, right? won the appeal. They won in court. Kansas, of course, with theirs. And it's always like, oh, my God. And, and Baylor football, after what they went through, uh, there were so many people that just thought you should shut down the program. You could have an opinion. But it was most of everything that was, like, maybe clutching your pearls was not even an NCAA issue. It was not underneath their boundaries or underneath what they do as the guidelines of running college well, athletics. And, and one of the things that happened to the NCAA was when they had to um, give back all of Joe Paterno's wins for the Jerry Sandusky penalty, uh, that opened up a lot of legal room for people to say, like, well, you try to punish them for that, and it, they got it taken away. And all the stuff that we've done is far less egregious and horrible than what went on at Penn State. So if that you can't punish people for that or take away things for that, that's why eventually all this will go away because they overstepped there because they didn't actually have legal right to, to punish Penn State for doing that and lost that case as terrible as it was. So then all these people who are just, you know, giving people $50,000 were like, well, I mean, if you can't police that, you can't police anything. And it's opened up this whirlwind of, of terror for them, which is why they keep losing lawsuits because they was built on a shaky premise in the first place. You know who's at relief today? Wichita State. They were probably thinking that Kansas was underneath the investigation and they would be the ones that probably would get the probation or any kind of NCAA infractions. Tonight in college football, UTEP is on the road against Florida International, that game on ESPN2. The CBS Sports Network, Sam Houston State, their first year in FBS, will play at 
New Mexico State. Last night, Middle Tennessee State beat Louisiana Tech. Also, Liberty 31, Jacksonville State 13. Appalachian State lost by three to Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall had 373 yards passing in that win for Coastal Carolina. Also, this note, Houston hosting Texas in one of the schedules for the 2023 season. That game, not surprised whatsoever, is sold out at TDECU Stadium. And that game is sellout Houston. That's not until, well, it's two weeks from now. Texas at home. Oh, excuse me, Houston at home. Excuse me for that against Texas. Yeah, not not a surprise there. Um, that that's uh, I, I can't wait to watch the West Virginia Houston game to, tomorrow night. I think that's going to be that's going to be pretty raucous uh, there. And Houston needs to get their season back on track. I'm I'm betting Houston fans were coping they would be better off um, when Texas rolled in for what will be the only time Texas is ever going to play there again, uh, more than likely. So. Uh, but you know, should be should be a fun one for the fans there. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm glad they got it sold out. Uh, took a little longer than I thought for a Texas game, but you know that was one of the things we talked about when the schedules were getting set up. Was well, it'd be funny if they made Texas go play there because it'll probably never happen, and this is your only opportunity to do that. And the thoughts were, well, no, go play it at NRG and everybody makes money. But yeah, then it'd be like a seventy thirty Longhorn crowd if you did that. So I was curious of what they were going to end up doing. They did put it at TDECU, so it'll be crammed. And, uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised it took this long to sell out. But, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of burnt orange there. I'm sure it'll be a cool experience for the Houston fans. You just hope it's an entertaining game. And at this point, I don't know how entertaining it'll be based on what we've seen from both teams. Uh, But if you're Houston, you've got a couple of home games here to try and, you know, get to, you know, a more respectable record, get 500 and, you know, kind of move forward and see what you can do with this football team because it's been a bit of a rocky road to start off the season. But uh, for Houston, I don't think they're looking past West Virginia at all. I mean, that's Dana's old team. That's his whole program. So that's a much bigger game coming up tomorrow than than Texas. Um, you know, but once they turn the page on tomorrow, you can start looking in and locking in on the Longhorns, have a little extra time to prepare, a couple days extra to prepare, I suppose. Um, I still think that game's going to probably be ugly, but it'll be a really cool experience for those in attendance. Uh, to say that they were there, you know, the one and only time that the Big 12 opponents played each other, Texas and Houston, at TDECU Stadium. So that'll, that'll be unique and uh, certainly something we'll never see again. All right, from uh, S. Michael DeHart, it's a nothing burger, according to the, the Dragon, Craig Smoke, on the KU thing. I, I, yeah, I, I think it is. I, I think it's an absolute nothing burger. I really do. I, 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 there's certain topics that I just don't find all that interesting, and it doesn't mean I can't talk about them or they're not parts of them that can be interesting, but – this whole NCAA investigation and the wringing of hands originally, and oh my gosh, like I never for once a single second believed that KU is going to get hit with harsh penalties. I don't think anybody else, if they're being honest, ever did either. Right? We already knew the deal. We already knew this was probably going to result in like some like, oh, will you take a banner down? Does that change anything about Kansas basketball, really? Absolutely not. It changes nothing for them. It empowers them them even more. Exactly. Like I said, when this first came out, what did Bill Self do? He was on video with chains on, basically mocking the entire thing. And so, you know, the IARP is going away. Um, This wraps that all up. Everybody can move on, like I said. And that's the part that I guess I'm the most excited about is that, okay, well, that's over. Everybody can kind of just, you know, get back to, to whatever and quit pretending like this was going to be some massive deal for Kansas. I know it was different for Oklahoma State. I know it's a case-by-case basis, but 
never for a second did I think this was any grand looming threat for the Jayhawks. And so today is just confirmation of how I felt for the last few years on this. And I'm not surprised that it was, yeah, a nothing burger in the end, really. I mean, I know it wasn't nothing, but it was a nothing burger. It was. Paxton mentioned Louisville. Did their men's basketball team. They had a vacated title. Yeah. Yeah. They had a vacated title. Thanks, Paxton. I do think that. Um, and the only one, like, eventually, I do think Louisville will be allowed to have that title back because they're going to, you know, I think with Kansas, they're, they'll probably quietly appeal that part of it. And then, like, three or four years from now, we'll just – somebody will be in the, in the arena and go, oh, oh is that – 2018 banner back up, I guess. Yeah. I guess they came to they some sort of They just won't have a light on it. Like yeah, it, it, but I think that'll happen. I think that eventually in the new thing, that vacating wins and titles is not going to be a thing, and punishments need to be more swift and immediate. All right, I got a question for you. Go ahead, Craig. I mean, there's a new Big 12 team in Arizona that was affected by this as well, and yeah. it led to some things. And so I don't want to pretend like nothing ever happened. But like from a Kansas perspective, like, oh, this is the last remaining case. What's going to happen here? I never for one single second batted an eye and thought it was going to be anything major. So I'm not claiming to be the predictor of anything. That's just over years of following stuff like this. I just – it was the assumed outcome, and, and so here we are. And so, yeah, I'm just glad that we can pre- stop pretending like there's, you know, a judgment day and a reckoning coming for Bill Self. Um, no, we can all just move on and they can go back to winning basketball games. Some of your chat comments. Joe McGibbon uh, ran for president back in ni- 1972. A lot of reporters are comparing the KU situation in North Carolina, but I don't know if I can – say, paying players and taking academic opportunities from your athletes are apples to apples. Wet blanket, Oklahoma State still has one more scholar to lose, scholarship, then it's over for them. And it's still worrying. They're, they're still in that mode. But do you mean George McGovern? Yeah, that's what I meant. I said that's why I was joking. Oh, okay. I, was like, I, was like, I actually I don't even get the joke. I, I, I guess I'm too I, young. I, His I name is jo- Joe McGivern. I, I, uh, yeah. I was uh, in 1972 in eighth grade in Japan – at Chofu Middle School, and they asked me to do the speech, and they picked people to be the president, Nixon, or McGovern, or at least a candidate. And I was picked to be McGovern, I guess maybe because of my big forehead. <laughs> should have yeah. hired you. I, I won the debate, but obviously did not affect the presidential election. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian has got to be spinning around in his grave as no. well. And, based Nick, on, and Nixon cheated in that one in, or, uh, <laughs> and, and, and in an election he was winning in a landslide. We're going to hear from Zach Barnett in a little bit. There's so much response and, uh, and opinions, and some even clutching their pearls when it comes to our segment yesterday with Baylor Director of Athletics, Mac Rhodes. Craig put up some tweets from, quotes from that, and the reactions were like all over the place. We'll hear from Zach Barnett because he wrote a story about it, credited us as he should, and we'll get his opinion on what he thought uh, uh, about what Mac was saying about uh, the coaching staff and his conversations with Dave Aranda. Yeah, I think it's, it's strange that one of the responses I saw most often was like assuming that Mac Rhodes meant that he was like in there calling X's and O's, which I think is just a giant leap to make because, you know, I understand that quotes don't always give context, but the reason I put those out, you know, is just to give little, you know, like here, here's where we are in the program and this is what's going on. And Hey, look, Mac Rhodes is talking about this. And I guarantee you, after I put one of those quotes out, somebody tuned in to see, you know, a Baylor fan at the very least was like, wait, what? Um, and so, you know, I think that there was a lot of like positive, uh, in terms of like knowing from a Baylor perspective that, Hey, they are not just sitting on their hands and they are not content. And they are very aware, especially up top that, uh, there are some things that need tweaking. But, yeah, the part about him, like, having a discussion with Aranda about the offense, they got taken all sorts of uh, types of different ways. Um, you know, a lot of people like, oh, that's so disrespectful to Jeff Grimes and blah, blah, blah. 
But I, I do think that if you actually listen to it, yes. that it's a much different story. And so there is that difference that you have to be aware of sometimes on Twitter because it wasn't malicious in that way. It wasn't like, I'm calling plays. It was like, no, he's just making sure that his coach realizes that they realize like the offense is not operating the way it needs to. And he's talking to him about like, okay, so what are you doing to try and ensure that it gets better? Like, just talk to me about what changes are being made. Talk to me about what you're doing with your personnel. Not so that I can tell you what's right or what's wrong, but so that I at least know that it's being addressed and that I'm not going to watch you roll out this same offense. Crazy pills. For six more games, and we have to just, you know, wallow in this for another three months. And that's where I think he was coming from, was just doing his job and keeping his, his fingers on the pulse of what was going on. And nothing more you know, crazy than, than, than that. But, yeah, there was definitely a lot of reactions. And I think there was, there was plenty of people that were like, we're good. Yeah. You know, it should go farther. Like, you know. Well, the ones who are complaining are the ones who are, like, are clutching their pearls or always seem to outnumber the ones that after they listen to the interview, you have no idea how many people reacted to it based on the quotes you put up or the title of what we put up in the website as the thread. There was actually a couple of questions about, well, I wish you would have talked about NIL or wish we would have talked about applications and getting student athletes into this university. And then someone responded, did you listen to the interview? Because he absolutely touched on that too. So what I was surprised at, and I know that right now everybody's angry, everyone has a pitchfork, is that both, like everybody wants somebody fired. Uh, everybody wants either Mac. Rhodes or Dave Aranda or Jeff Grimes or Eric Mateos or whoever. There's even shots at President Livingstone. And then you have Mac come on and kind of discuss it openly, transparently. And then everyone's like, oh, my God, how could he say that when it's from the same people that have been wanting something to be a change? But that, that's social media and that's message board. That's the way it is. Well, and that's also you focusing on, like, the same minority group of people speaking and acting as though they're the biggest voices in the room. And, and we've talked about this plenty of times but yeah they might be the loudest doesn't mean they're the biggest and yeah some people are just not going to quit being that way no matter what if it wasn't that it was going to be something else it's like it's like yep. the things with the game so if it's not the offense then it's the blackout if it's not the blackout then it's the music if it's not the music then it's the turf if it's not the turf then it's the the time of the game if it's, and those people exist and you just have to Sometimes just move on. And, I, and, you know, that's what I've chosen to do most of the time because I've found that it's just not worthwhile with some people to just spin wheels and argue because it's never going to resolve itself. And so some people will be content in hearing what they heard. Some people will take it a different type of way. But I think if you sit there and listen to it, then I think you feel like Baylor's still in pretty good hands. And, yeah, you might still want somebody fired at the end of this, but I think knee-jerking off of a couple of quotes and acting like, oh, well, this all needs to burn down is, is a bit over the yeah. top. I've learned a lot from Denzel Washington in my life. Um, you know, one – we all could. Yeah. One, uh, you know, not to fumble the football or her break my, his foot off in my John Brown hindquarters. Uh, and two, from American Gangster, the loudest one in the room is the weakest one in the room. And that, that's, that is the internet completely – like that is exactly how it is. I like, and I do think the more I've thought about Max interview, there are some things I, I promise you, he probably wishes he could have said differently or rewind and maybe not say it this week, but he has been candid with us so much. And, and the administration has told us like, yeah, we, we, he wasn't supposed to say that, but he did. It's fine. And like, they'll move on. I don't think, People are taking it, like you said, Craig, is like he's in the room going, all right, we're going to run the triple option right. or the wing T now. The left guard needs the, to be on yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, he's not doing that. Um, you know, and I think that that – I don't think that is that um, strange in the athletic director world for 
an athletic director to walk down to a struggling coach and say, why are we struggling and what needs to change and talk that out. And where the conflict would come is, is that the coach said, we need this, 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 and this. And he says, okay, but do this. That's in like, you have to do this for me and you're trading things off. That's where it comes like, no, I don't believe that you should be running the spread, run the spread tomorrow. Then that's going to be a problem. That's not what went on. He said that he has an open dialogue with coach Randa about the things that are going on. And I do think that most of those things that have happened to Baylor come when it, I think the more important thing he said was when it comes to acquiring talent that they have to do better, you know, do different things now that we're in a new era. That's more what he think was focused on than, hey, the system's not working right now. Paula, good Lord, Mac could be one of those ADs that won't grant interviews with anyone. We're lucky to get him every week, good, bad, or indifferent. He has never dodged a question. If he's like maybe... Uh, maybe tap danced a little bit, but he's never not at least answered the question. From PJ, I listened to the entire interview, and I think he was totally transparent. And I like that he was frustrated with the inability to get some players to Baylor. We have become too nice on the field. And and so those who actually listened to it, they didn't go in with an agenda or, my God, I hate him. If you do listen to it with an open mind – I think you'll think differently, and then some it won't matter. And I think that quote has also been taken a little bit out of context in that he is not saying, let's go back to the anybody who can block, tackle, or catch, let's put them on the field regardless of their background. He is saying that if there are kids who have messed up, we need to look at it as a case-by-case basis and see if the, there are good kids that we can get in here that want to come to Baylor that have moved past their incident as opposed to what is – it's never publicly been, but it's been very clear on what they get. When Matt Rule got here especially, I think he was under the – look – we need the class president, the key club president. We need guys who are, you know, making speeches and working the community. We cannot take chances on anybody. Zero chances, zero problems, because the minute that we have one, it's going to be blown up like nothing has changed. They're still the same old Baylor. They didn't learn anything from the scandal. They are seven, eight years out of that now. They maybe need to change the policy of, you know, you are – um, and One alter- striking you're out, like yeah. I mean, somebody yeah. has any blemish, like yeah. has no chance whatsoever. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, yeah, like you're an altar boy or you're a criminal. Like, no, there's, there's plenty in between. Right. Yeah. yeah there's gray area, and like yeah. they're not allowed to, in the way he put it, operate in almost any gray area whatsoever. And you know, gray area eliminates a lot of people, eliminates <laughs> a lot of good people. And so, yeah, I think that that was eye opening. That he's clearly. Um, I, I would imagine they're having conversations today. He and whoever operates over in admissions, I would imagine after that interview, are probably talking and clearing the air on, on what can be done or, or what their feelings are on how it operates. But, yeah, I mean, I took it all as positive. I didn't, I didn't walk away from it, and I've covered this team for a long time. I didn't walk away from it feeling like, oh, gosh, the AD's overreaching or, oh, no, he's calling the shots. I, I took it as an AD who is very aware of the – situation brewing within his fan base and realize he's got to say some pretty strong words and also he's not happy either and making it very clear that like we're leaving no stone unturned I'm asking I'm on their mm-hmm. ASS about you know well, why is the offense like this why you know and not hey run the spread but you know why is this happening can you at least explain to me so when I have people ba- banging down my door of like why is this happening you can at least say well this and this and this but do I think he's wrong and at least broaching the idea of like 
are we doing the best we can with the personnel that we have? Like, are we just going to run into a wall for six more games? I think that's a legitimate question to ask your football coach because he also, based on what we've seen, the answer to the question is no, we're just going to run into the wall for six more games. And so, yeah, I would ask the question too of like, is this the plan to just keep doing what we're doing or is there going to be like some adjustments at some point? Um, health or, or or not, so yeah. Yeah, he also made the comment the coaches didn't lose or forget everything they did in the same staff that's there from the right. 2021 season. But well, and again, he also made it clear he believes in Aranda, and, yeah. and I know that some will take that. Oh well, that's a vote of confidence. Like I saw one comment from a really smarmy guy who who, who knows everything about everything and has been in my mentions a lot when it comes to certain things and. It, you know, everything that could be taken away is taken, like, the, the worst way possible, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I had some of that reaction, and, oh, well, Aranda's just going to, you know, be around for – like, no, I think Aranda's very aware of, of you know, the, the temperature in the room. I think, though, that, um, you know, the idea of uh, – I guess the comment was something like, oh, I can't afford to pay the buyouts. So this is basically his warning shot. And it's like, well, for first of all, I think they can pay the buyout. Number two, if they if they really wanted to and had to get down to it, I think that they could do that. Uh, but number two, I don't think that they're looking to move on from him. I think that Mac Rhodes believes in Dave Aranda, and they're just trying to figure out what is it going to take to get to where we were a couple years ago? How long is that going to take? What do you need to make that happen? And can that feasibly happen? Because if not, then yeah, we have to start having some different conversations. I took it not as a vote of confidence, although it was a vote of confidence. I took it as like, we want this to work. How can we help, including right. the transfer exactly. portal being exactly. more active, also the NIL being much more public. Here's a note to close out, and then Zach Barnett on the uh, KU stuff today. Uh, Jason Shear, we know when we had him on for a long time, they have, and we will again. Sean Miller was fi- if Someone said, Laughing at KU's penalties is about as laughable as Aiton and Miller getting off at Arizona. Sean Miller was fired. Mm-hmm. Aiton, uh, Arizona banned itself from the postseason, cut recruiting hours. Aiton was a, a reporter making something up that had no meat to it, and yet they still had penalties that were more severe. And the Oklahoma State was an NCAA decision. It was not the decision of the group that is well, I, IARP. What I would also think that everybody's going to learn, as long as this, the NCAA operates like this, your best bet, like if Arizona didn't want to fire Sean Miller or felt that they could get through it and wasn't worried about anything else like Kansas was, just tie it up for six years. And, you know, eventually things will change, which is, you know, Kansas is the perfect example of why the process needs to move faster. Regardless of how we feel about Kansas's guilt or innocence in all this, like, just got to move faster. Because if they were guilty, well, nobody now has six years of eligibility outside of COVID, so all the people who were there are gone now. And two, like, the rules changed in the middle of it. Yeah, like, so now you're making yourself look ridiculous if you're the NCAA. Mike Boynton, I stand by every single word I've said in the past. That's all going back to DND. I've got practice. Good for Mike Boynton mm-hmm. to say what he wants to say, too. So five level one violations. Bill Selfie ends up with one that is a level three from Jeff Goodman. That comment, just to clarify. When we come back, Zach Barnett, his thoughts about Bill, uh, Mac Rhodes and the Baylor staff moving forward. Uh, and also, we are not done with that. Ricky Thompson will join us today and so much more, including the top 15 teams in college football and how dominant they have been based on even the point spread of being a 10-point or heavier favorite. That and more, this is 365 Sports. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. They have specials on 
pork and poultry, beef, and also on seafood. Brian Bauer and the Bauer family that own Waco Custom Marketplace. If you're looking to get what you need for tailgating uh, for Baylor fans, you're not back home for at least three weekends. But maybe you're going to another tailgate. Maybe one day it's Fort Worth or perhaps uh, it's it's in Austin or perhaps even College Station. Waco Custom Marketplace, and if you live in this area, has what you need when it comes to the product, the produce, the knickknacks, the seasonings, the marinades, and even cold beer and cold wine. Specials every single week, including the ones that are up, including some on some prime steak available, choice and select steak available. And and you can go, when you walk through the front door, there's a sign there with all of the specials, even sometimes on even canned goods like Rotel, etc., just letting you know. Full-service bakery, full-service butcher shop. They have a coffee shop for you as well. Waco Custom Marketplace at 425 Lake Care Drive in Waco. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some say a dog is a man's best friend. But I tell you what, boys, you better think again. Cause there ain't nothing better than some cows, pigs, and turkeys, too. I love to cover them in sauce down in Rudy's Barbecue. Bring all your friends to Rudy's for some tasty oak smoke barbecue. Next in line. During Jeep Adventure Day, save big on 2023 Jeep models like the Grand Cherokee Limited with values up to $5,500 or 10% off MSRP on new Jeep Gladiators on all trim levels or 10% off MSRP on a new Jeep Compass at Allen Samuels in Waco. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Boozers, the wedding ring store. 
Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Let Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. Zach Barnett, football scoop. We've had Zach on many times about many things college football. Zach wrote a story yesterday evening after seeing the quotes with Craig and also the story, the interview with Baylor's uh, Director of Athletics and Mac Rhodes Mac, I mean, Zach, thanks for your time. When you saw the quotes, what was your first reaction? Um, that's, I, I guess I had a lot of reactions. I, I, I think I applaud uh, Mac Rhodes, obviously. If you're an AD, it's kind of – I think it can be kind of tough to, to be, you know, the, the quote-unquote general manager or owner, the guy who stays above the fray, and the guy who rolls his sleeves up and tries to – Get, get involved and figure out what's wrong. And I think Mac uh, did a good job of, of playing both of those roles in the interview on yesterday. Zach, from the outside, though, when you look at what's going on with Baylor and Dave Aranda over the last year, what's the path forward for them? I think, you know, in, in what I've seen of Baylor, uh, and I, admittedly I have not watched every game, but I, I've seen enough to know that, I just don't see a whole lot of, of players that scare you. Like, I, I, I think my, my impression from Mac was that, as I wrote in the article, is that it seems like he's, and this is just my intuition, it seems like he's frustrated in the disconnect between how the offensive coaches draw up, how the offense is supposed to work on a chalkboard in ideal conditions versus how they've adapted to the team they have to coach at this, at this given moment. And I'm sure there's a lot of that. But at the same time, I just don't see a lot of personnel, especially offensively, that's going to strike fear in the hearts of opposing defense coordinators. 
Zach, do you think that it's, especially for schools like Baylor, a, a more vulnerable time than maybe it would be otherwise because of all the changes that you almost have to be aware of, of not only just the, the regular situation, but the long-term ramifications, you know, like a Baylor being well-positioned for this new Big 12, but as this is starting to turn the corner, they are not very well-positioned all of a sudden. Is there even more of a, an awareness of, of the present and where you are and where this is all going, you think, than maybe in years past? Do you mean just in, in regards to the changes within the Big 12 or NIL and the transfer portal? Like, I think help all, me out. Yeah, I think all of that. Is there more of a pressure now that you can't afford to have a couple of years go by where you're just middle of the road or, or falling flatter because of, yes, NIL and all these various things that they kind of have to be at their best and they can't afford a couple of years of, of you know not making bowl games, for example? Um, I, I mean, I, I think from what I've seen in the Baylor football within the last 10 years, is just incredible resiliency. Uh, I mean, the program has, I guess it's the, the program has fallen apart and then risen back up you know, three different times in, in that time. And so the, the, they've, they've done an incredibly good job of choosing the right people and then those people choosing the right players and the right assistant coaches. I mean, that, that happened from Bryles to Rule and then from, from Rule to Aranda. And so I think... I, I don't think Baylor's in a bad spot moving forward. I think there's a general sense within the donor class of every institution that, oh, my gosh, what we're doing now is, is, is not sustainable. So I think the fear that Baylor has is kind of a universal fear. But I think Baylor's it, – it's brand, it's um, you know, the DNA with the program, it's location. I, I don't think Baylor is in any sort of existential – crisis right now. Uh, Zach Barnett, footballscoop.com with us. With uh, with the way that the conference is about to be, obviously with Texas and Oklahoma moving on, do you see any evidence this year on who might be the alpha that steps up based on results so far halfway through the season? Um, I, I think right now the, the, the alpha I see in this conference is either Utah or Colorado. Um, Utah obviously has a, a, a Hall of Fame coach and Kyle Whittingham. Uh, they have a, an incredibly successful formula of what they've done, having won the last two Pac-12 titles. And then Colorado has the ultimate X factor in its head coach right now and, and its ability to attract talent that no other Big 12 school has. Um, obviously, Deion Sanders is probably not going to be at Colorado forever, and so that could change. But those are my two answers as of right now. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of wondering how the Big 12 weathers that storm in the short term of, you know, when it comes to who's going to get the five stars, it's going to be him over most everyone else. Oh, yeah. He's, he's going to be able to recruit from a different pool than I think a, a lot of uh, – than the rank and file of the Big 12. And that's, I think, in the long running – I think Dion's presence has, has been an incredibly good thing for college football. It's been a good thing for the Pac-12. And I think it'll be a good team, a good thing for the Big 12 for as long as it lasts, even if uh, he might inflict some, some losses on, on the Baylors and the TCUs and the Texas Techs. Do you think this uh, current Big 12 landscape, the way it's gone so far this season, is the worst-case scenario for the Big 12? Are they squeezing the most juice out of Oklahoma and Texas while they can? Kind of how do you see how this, you know, all the, the blustering and all the talk of the offseason and they're leaving and all this and – Man, Zach, Oklahoma and Texas pretty clearly seem to be the two best teams, and everybody else is just kind of jumbled in the in the middle or lower. 
Yeah, it's funny because obviously we're in now the third season of waiting for Texas and Oklahoma to leave. And the first, I mean, 2021 could not have gone any better with Texas collapsing, Oklahoma uh, missing the Big 12 championship for the first time in a long time, and then losing Lincoln Riley. And then you had that incredible game between Baylor and Oklahoma State. Last year was incredible with TCU uh, and, and Kansas State playing a, a classic game, and TCU obviously making it to the title game. And then it seems like all, all that momentum, all, all the, the, the run of, of uh, hitting on 18 and getting blackjack, uh, even though that's a bad reference, but you get what I'm saying, seems like their luck has run out a little bit. And, um, and watching that Kansas State game, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote challenger to those two, they, they sure looked awful at losing at Oklahoma State. So, yeah, it certainly seems like everyone is kind of uh, hitting reset at the same time. Obviously, TCU struggling a lot uh, as, as the quote-unquote defending champion, even though they were the best team last year, even though they didn't win the conference. So, yeah, it, it's kind of a bad time for everyone to uh, be in transition mode as, as those two cycle upward and then out. With West Virginia winning so far with Neil Brown, who was on not just the hot seat, is he had coals uh, in his pants. Now that he has at least had this start, who would you say is next man up who might be on the hot seat within the Big 12? You know, I was actually just writing about this uh, as you called for a piece that's going to go out tomorrow. It's, a, it's an interesting – it's a big two weeks for Dana Holgerson. I think he was close to being let go um, last season, and he spent a, a lot of this season kind of sounding the alarm that, hey, guys, we're not ready to compete as an institution in the Big 12. And then now here you have West Virginia coming to town – Tomorrow night, as, as his old team is, has not suffered his loss, as they are right now in the in the hunt to, to play for the Big Twelve championship. While West Virginia, excuse me, while Houston's zero and two in the conference, and the next week you get Texas in town, and um, that that's going to be a sold out game, national TV, and it looks like Houston's going to be a, a three touchdown underdog. So uh, obviously, if you win that game, then uh, all is forgiven at least for six days. But if you go out there and get blown out, which they certainly could, then that's, it's going to be a, a painful uh, eight-day stretch possibly, or I guess 10-day stretch possibly for, for old Holgo. Yeah, you know, um, of, of things that ADs have told us, and the part of this was kind of in jest, we had Chris Pesman on, this is about a month ago now, right, guys? Yep, yep. And he even said, like, there might be a day where Dana gets tired of NIL and the transfer portal and retires. Like, that... that Came out of Chris Pesman's mouth, and he was joking, but I do think that Dana falls in that category, Zach, of the, you know, Mike Gundy, Dabo Sweeney, you know, people who are like, you know, I like coaching ball, but, like, all this other stuff that goes with it, it's not for me anymore. Yeah, Mike Gundy is another interesting guy to, to bring up, given that he's such a made man and has more money than God up there in Stillwater. But he seems like the type of person that, that's, only happy when he's unhappy in the regards that <laughs> the, kind of the, the worse Oklahoma State plays, the more excited he is to show up to work at 6 a.m., roll his sleeves up, and, and figure out why. Would you throw Lincoln Riley into that group that Paul just mentioned of, of guys that possibly just see grass greener on the other side of college sports the way that it currently is? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he uh, just gave it a, an interview to the L.A. Times in a really well-written piece that, that they put out there just kind of, Lincoln contemplating about life and the, and the meaning of coaching and all that stuff. It's a, it's a really good article that I think everybody should read. 
and he certainly did not seem like a guy that, that was long for college football. Um, and uh, whether he tries his hand at the NFL or just takes his money and runs, you know, who's to say? But uh, he, he did not seem like a guy that's, that's going to stick around just because this is what he is and, and, and who he is. He, he does not view himself as a, a, a guy that's going to coach until the wheels fall off. Zach, uh, back to what I asked you for the beginning, the article you wrote based on our interview with Mac Rhodes last night or yesterday afternoon. How often have you seen ADs make comments like he said uh, or what he did last night? Yeah, it, you. as I said earlier, obviously ADs, when you start at two and four or worse, I mean, ADs are asked to comment all the time. And so the fact that he's commenting is, is not news in and of itself, but I thought the way, you know, he was willing to address that we need to get better offensively. That he he mentioned the red zone, um, Baylor's lack of success stopping the run, you know, all the stuff that fans see and acknowledge and post about on message boards. The fact that he was willing to go there, I think, I, I think spoke well of him, and I think it it, it showed his commitment to Dave Randa to get things done. And I mean, I. It, if I'm a Baylor offensive coach, and you know I, I know some of those guys because they're those, those guys' friends, um, I would not have slept well uh, last night having heard that. And of course, Baylor's offensive struggles are, are not news to those guys. But it seemed he seemed to go drill down a little bit deeper into Baylor's issues. To whereas um, most ads, you know, are professional type guys who can kind of feel themselves getting. You know, quoted and aggregated as they're speaking, he didn't seem to be speaking with that sort of fear. With the results we've seen on the field right now, who do you feel like are the four best teams? And in, in, there's a lot of games to be played, and they play each other. If you though had to pick pick four right now that would be in the college football playoff, who would they be? Uh, I'd certainly go Washington. Uh, I've been very close to, to ranking them as my number one overall team, and might do that uh, depending on Saturday's results. Uh, I'd have to go Georgia. Uh, I was very close to dropping them, but they, they finally looked like the Georgia we expected on Saturday night. Um, I mean, Michigan looks really good. I, I'm frustrated because they play eight straight patsies, but you, you got to give them their due. And then after that, I have to go Oklahoma. I mean, they were, they've been one or two or three in a lot of different computer polls throughout the season after that they blew out Arkansas State. And they validated all that and then some on Saturday. So you, you got to give them their due. Yeah, they, they really – they validated what I think they thought they were, but it was hard to still kind of, wait a minute, we need him to do that against somebody else. Yeah, I don't think Texas took too much of a step back despite the loss, but Oklahoma to me said, hey, we're not going anywhere in fa- if you thought maybe we were. Yeah, I, I think they were pleasantly surprised with how they held up on both lines of scrimmage. And I think they were thrilled to death uh, to see Dylan Gabriel go out and perform the way he did. Because, uh, I mean, that was a question mark. He, he, he could certainly uh, pummel you if you're uh, a Tulsa or an Arkansas State. But he, he frankly never played on a stage like the Cotton Bowl stage. And then he was out there and he was the best player on the field. And so if, if now that you know he's got that ability, then you certainly are going to drink big if you're the Sooners. Zach, thank you very much. Appreciate your time from footballscoop.com. Zach Barnett with us on 365 Sports. We have Ricky Thompson around the corner. Also, we will uh, 
Of course, get into a couple of other college football notes, including the heavy favorites and how much they have backed that up against the odds. We'll have that later on. Yeah, I mean, uh, just, you know, good stuff there from Zach. I think that, you know, when it comes to the hot seat talk, Neil Brown has certainly done himself a a great service with the start that they've gotten off to. So that's cooled off uh, immensely. And, um, you know, it is an interesting time for for guys like Gundy and just the whole changing of of things and Dabo and Riley and, and all these guys. Like the Riley stuff, I know that Zach wrote about that. But, yeah, he's very much left the door open to the NFL. And I would imagine that's probably where he ends up sooner rather than later. Um, you know, maybe he's at USC for a little while longer. I think all that depends on how close do they really get. And post Caleb Williams, I mean, I know he's got Malachi Nelson and a bunch of other big time recruits coming in. So, um, you know, that'll be interesting to see, but I do feel like Riley, you know, is, is, is a guy who's going to be in the NFL at some point in time. And, um, there are going to be coaches who are just like, I'm done, man. Like this, just this, this is too much because that's, you know, as Riley said, he, one of the comments he made was about just the amount of downtime that you get as an NFL coach. You don't have to recruit. You have the draft. You know, you don't even have to go scout those guys. You have a whole team that goes and scouts those guys. And you have that in college as well. You have your scouts that go out and, you know, follow prospects and do all that. But in the NFL, like, you know, like, we're all, all of us picking at the same time with the same rules. And there's rules in place as to how we pick. And there's, whereas everything's just like basically other than certain dates that you can't go see somebody. But he's taken and, advantage of that, isn't he? Yeah, sure he has, but yeah, it gets tiresome. Yeah, like, yeah. still I mean, hard. Like, yeah. yeah, like would you not want to have an extra three months where you're not on the road recruiting well, versus just okay. watching draft film? No, I get that, but yeah. you're making – I mean, I know that money doesn't mean that you're relaxed and happy. That doesn't always mean that. We've heard that money doesn't make people – doesn't make everybody happy, but – uh, he's got his own personnel department. No, he, he does, but I'll tell you this. Comparatively, like... What do you think is more pressure to win? Lincoln Riley at USC or Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh? Maybe not the right example. Or Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys? It's not even about more pressure to win. It's about all the stuff you don't have to do in yeah. the NFL. Right. So, like, it's a better job. Same, make the same yeah. money. He's going to make, like... If he if Mike McCarthy got fired and, and Jerry hired Lincoln Riley... Jerry's paying Lincoln Riley the same money or better to come to the NFL, and he's already making on because otherwise Nick Lincoln Riley would be foolish to come and take less money. I've always been told, and, and this is from other coaches who have been in both, and I wish I could come up with some pretty, pretty good examples, that the pressure and the intensity to be a head coach in the NFL is far worse than oh. in college football, but maybe the last I, couple of years and the rules changes has changed. I, I think that that does because there's free agency in both now. But what Mike McCarthy rarely has to do is when the Cowboys are going after a free agent, which they rarely do, <laughs> but if the Cowboys are going after a free agent, Mike McCarthy just has to come in at the end and slap him on the back and go, hey, we really want you here to help us in the offense, and it's great. Then he'll have a conversation or two with a guy. Mike McCarthy from... March 1st, when free agency opens until they sign the guy, does not have to be on the phone with him constantly going, hey, did you Google on your science test? How's your right. mom? Yeah, How's your no, dad? Yeah, How's your brother? pretty clear. That's true. That, that's true. Hey, I, I want a great quarterback. Unless, All right, well, we're picking it fourth, and we'll get our selection. Or I want a great quarterback. I have to go stay on the phone with this 16-year-old and then talk to his mom, and then I got to, you know, butter up the girlfriend, and then I got to go be at his game and show up in a helicopter, and then, and then I got to yeah. offer him 50 Gs per game. And then, I, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty clear well, that the NFL might have more pressure, but 
the benefits are uh, way better in the NFL well, than they maybe are. Maybe I'm in thinking college. about guys who are both head coach and GM, like Sean Payton yeah. and some of yeah. those. That's yeah. that's when I, it's like it's yeah. got to be extreme. Yeah. Oh no, Timmy, I I I like young gravy too. Yeah, we play him in practice all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, right. who, what am I doing with my life? Great <laughs> discussion. Appreciate Zach Barnett and uh, thanks. Uh, for you, of course, who've watched the first hour of this show, much more to come, including Ricky Thompson, former Baylor receiver, Matt Rule, Nebraska football coach. Do we have the Huskers helmet, uh, Garrett, in the background? Matt Rule will right join us Craig. at 4.30. It's an off week for them. And then James Crepia will join us from the Oregonian. He'll join us on the Oregon perspective of that great matchup this weekend with Washington. And our fantastic friend Dave Softy-Mahler will discuss Washington tomorrow on this show. This is 365 Sports. Right now, Jeep Adventure Days going on at Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat, all-new Jeep Renegades, all-new Jeep Gladiators, and the all-new Jeep Compasses. They have 10% off MSRP on all the various trim levels. And also the new Jeep Grand Cherokee, except for the Laredos, you heard it right, 10% off MSRP. Great selection of inventory to choose from. And again, always making something that you will like to buy the vehicle that you want. And they won't just like forget about you once you walk out the door. I still hear from AJ, who sold me my new vehicle, the SUV, back in July. I think it was July of 2020. Also, right now, the Ram Power Days. Ram trucks, as good as it gets. So they got 10% off. Uh, the, well, let me give you the, the, the 2023 Ram 1500 Crew Cab has 0% financing for 72 months. And if that's not enough, the 2023 Dodge Challenger and Charger XX, uh, SXT GT or RTL, RT, uh, total values up to $3,000 off. You have the opportunities for money, bonus money, percent of uh, financing that's 0%, and or you also have the opportunity to get 0% of what you want. If you just go there, see the people who help you out, the client managers, the sales reps, at Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat, Loop 340 East of 84 in Waco. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Did you know that one out of every four men have symptomatic low levels of testosterone and don't even know it? And if you think you're too young to worry about it, guess again. Low T levels can make you feel tired and grumpy. Raise your cholesterol and cause weight gain. Petty Clinic Low T can set up same-day blood screening and results. So if you're tired of being tired, call or go online at PettyClinicLowT.com. It's a private clinic with an atmosphere catering to men. Affordable, only $165 a month, including lab work, office consultation, testosterone injections, and follow-up visits compared 
to $300 or more a month in Dallas or Austin. And you don't have to drive 90 miles one way or the other and fight the traffic. Petty Clinic Low T has board-certified physician consultations and will provide the best form of brand-strength testosterone. Contact Petty Clinic Low T for increased energy, improvement in sexual desire and performance, mood, concentration, even a decrease in body and belly fat. Just off Highway 84 and Old Hewitt Drive in Woodway, PettyClinicLowT.com. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, over 600,000 words in the dictionary, and just three of them said together can change everything. Let's order pizza. Those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on Marco's Pizza that'll blow your mind. So visit Marco's.com to order and stop by Marco's Pizza in Bellmead, China Spring, Woodway, and in Robinson. Marco's. Pizza lovers get it. From the first workout to the last practice, sports is an incredible challenge. Hi, this is Dan Engel with the First National Bank of Central Texas, and we're proud to support each athlete, every parent, and our educators. From families, small businesses, to the biggest industry, we're here to help. With remarkable products like instant-issue debit cards free at all of our banking centers, we've got banking ideas that fuel big dreams. The First National Bank of Central Texas, familiar faces making local decisions. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This segment with former Baylor wide receiver and Baylor sideline analyst Ricky Thompson is sponsored by Alliance Bank Central Texas, where customers have confidence that their financial needs are in good hands with two locations in Waco, on Bosque Boulevard and on Archway Drive off Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. We'll get Ricky here in a moment. Uh, Garrett, if you wouldn't mind, the, the tweet from Bud Elliott. This is from actually yesterday afternoon. The top 15 teams from college football's preseason poll have played 63 games. As favorites of 10 points or more, they are 62-1. and one. A major reason we are set for so much late-season drama is the top 15 teams have suffered basically Zero major upsets. The only one of a double-digit favorite that lost is Duke beating Clemson as an 11-point dog. So that's saying there's 15 pretty good teams, right? Is that what that's saying? That's saying they're all pretty much clumped together. And I, well, that doesn't mean there's not cream at the top. Well, then, yeah, that, I think with uh, you know that kind of showing so far, we should definitely only have four teams in a playoff. Yep. Yeah, why would we want to have more than that? Why would we want to open it up and see if, like, I don't know, number five might be pretty good or number six? Uh, I think that's a, a reason that you have the expanded playoff uh, that's not money-driven or TV-driven is, yeah, there's other teams that are pretty good, and I think, you know, if all this talk about the disparity or the gaps being closed because of NIL, isn't that more reason then that the teams are closer cl- clumped together that they should have – you know, maybe number eight does get a crack at number one just to see what could happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that that speaks to the parity uh, that's going on in college football. And uh, a lot of that a result of there being, um, even though it's tipped maybe more so in some some favor, uh, there is, I guess, more of a balance than there has been. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that that is a good sign of what a expanded playoff could look like. Now, obviously, we're halfway through the season, not all the way. I wonder what that looks like by the end of the year, and certainly some of those teams will, will play each other and 
Uh, there are losses to come, but um, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really interesting year with a lot of really good teams. Nobody that's just super dominant, and this year in particular, if this is kind of the the example of what's going to you know be the case moving forward, then I think that expanded playoffs going to be super spicy, and I'm looking very much forward to uh, to seeing what that's going to look like. Paul, I just mentioned the stat: sixty three times top fifteen teams from the beginning. 62-1, and one, the only one was Clemson, 11-point favorite, lost to Duke. And Craig goes, oh, I don't know. I heard him. I, 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 I mean, look, he's always got dragon in him. Look, I, I agree. Look, this, is, this shows you what is happening when you introduce tools of parity to college football. And that's what the transfer portal is. It's a tool of parity. And you have, you know, look, and... I know that it can be like everybody can bend things to if you have enough power can bend things to your will, but there are more teams out there ready to compete right now. Let me answer this call from Ricky Thompson. All right, we'll have him on, Craig. Yeah, and I think you could also look at it from the, the different point of view of like, well, there is you know there is parity, but is there parity if it's just the fifteen teams dominating like that, right? So you could make the counter argument, but I think the the fact that there is fifteen teams, or that the top half of the the rankings, or even more than the top half of the rankings, that you have that number of quality teams, and again, it will sort itself out for the next six seven weeks. But I do think that that goes to show you that yeah, it's not just it's these two and nobody else, or these four and nobody else. It no, there's ten plus teams right now that are handling their business, and so yeah, I like the idea of. You know, a few weeks from now, mo- most of those teams being able to have the opportunity to play for a title so long as they keep up what they've been doing. So, yeah, I think that that speaks well of of what an expanded playoff could look like. Ricky Thompson, Baylor Radio, uh, sideline reporter, analyst, joins us on 365 Sports. Ricky, thank you very much for your time. Is this a good week to have no game? Uh, yeah, Smokey, I think it is. I talked a little bit about that after the football game. I think, to me... Uh, as a player, sometimes an open date after a loss is not so good <laughs> because you've got some coaches that have time to extract that out on the players. But I think in this case, where you're really looking at uh, regrouping, just so to speak, that it was a good time to have an open date and get away from it. I think these guys went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, going to have some time away and I just think the timing was good. I always thought that while you're winning, if you're healthy, an open date was not a good thing. I think you wanted to keep playing, keep in that mode of winning football games and not getting away for a week. So, yeah, I think in this case, with what we've seen so far, that this timing was pretty good to have an open date. Ricky, how do they change the offense over the next couple of weeks to scrap the things that are – not working, haven't worked, and won't work for the rest of the year? Well, number one, I think you have to do that. I think that we've seen enough so far with this offense mixed with the players that are running it that that something needs to change. So I'm going to be very surprised if we don't see some modifications. It's hard to go in and just blow up an offense in two weeks. But I think – I think some things will change. Uh, I think there may be even some personnel changes. And I think what you're going to see is, and this is me talking, a modification of this offense, the wide zone. I just don't think that maybe there's the horses in certain places right now to run that offense. And with that, I'm going to be really surprised if it's not maybe spread out and opened up a bit when you go to Cincinnati. Ricky, 
just how surprised were you by Saturday's result? I mean, all credit to Tech, and by all means, you know, give us your thoughts on what you saw from the Red Raiders as well. We had plenty of, of Raider, Red Raider fans that listen. Um, but just how surprised were you by the way that that unfolded on Saturday night? Well, I was shocked, probably much like they were last year when it was 45-17 to 17 in Lubbock. Uh, I didn't expect anything like that. I really thought it would be a close game. I didn't think by any means would we go in there and blow them out again. Uh, you know, you do that once and you come back the next time and it's not real likely. So, uh, But I thought those two teams were pretty evenly matched. And I thought and expected it to be a very close, hard-fought football game. And as it turned out, I thought Tech just whipped us uh, up front on both sides. And Taj Brooks had a great game. Uh, probably the difference in the game for them offensively, for sure. Uh, you had a quarterback there that had really had a lot of grief. And I think that running game really – helped him gain some confidence and make some throws and open their passing game up. But uh, I was really surprised at the result, and I don't think Tech was that much better than us, but they sure were Saturday. Ricky, um, Mac Rhodes was on with us yesterday afternoon, and, and I, I asked him the question, Craig and Paul had theirs too, about how do you sell this program moving forward uh, now or into the future in the state that it's in? And he, he discussed that, Listen, nobody's happy. Everyone's mad. Two and four, the loss to Tech, et cetera. He also brought up even the offense, and I know you discussed that a little bit earlier. It's not like he's going to go into the X and O's in the film room, but he said something must change. Should the defense have gotten a pass when that was mentioned? Uh, No, not really. I don't think any of them need a pass just from uh, what we've seen thus far. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. I just think that they all need to be really studied and take the time with this extra week to look at things that you can might do, whether it's a, a player personnel change here or there, whether it's a, a scheme here or there. And, you know, I, I, you're talking to a receiver here, so I'm, I'm a little biased on the offensive side, but in the state of Texas, what, 99% of these schools run the spread? Would, would that be pretty close to accurate? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that that's what kids like. That's what they want to play in. And I'm not saying you have to run the spread, but I am saying you have to open it up. And that's why I keep saying that I think offensively at some point you've got to open this thing up and do the things that players like and they want to see and they want to play in. And I think that's the way you fix that, that issue. Uh and that's one opinion, but I, I just think when, when kids see you flash and run the spread and run it fast, and and it's not just throwing the ball. Tech ran the spread, and they ran it down our throat. So uh, remember back in an era before this when we were running the spread, we also ran it for about 300 yards a game. So just because you run the spread doesn't mean you don't run the football. You do run it, but you also have four wides in the game, and they're generally guys that can really run and put stress on a defense and and back to my point that's what kids like and that's how they want to play and then defensively when you do that I think sometimes your defense changes too you play a different style of defense when your offense is running the spread and when you're scoring I think it's just automatic that the defense plays harder and I I'm not saying they shouldn't play hard when you're not scoring but you know you get fired up and you're watching the offense go down and score and you want to go out and get stops and get the ball back to them so 
I just think those are things we need to consider to get those players. And I think I think we got hurt with a couple of classes, you know, the COVID year, and then maybe didn't get the portal as soon as we should have. And we're playing a lot of young guys, and that that's a tough chore in the Big Twelve playing that many young people. Yeah, Ricky, he, Coach Rand has done it before, though. Like when he went to the wide zone, he realized that the personnel he had matched that offense, but the personnel he has now doesn't match it. So now he's in the an enviable position of trying to build a new offense to match the personnel he has in the middle of the season. Yep, tough job. And thank goodness you have two weeks, but it's still a tough job, Paul. I mean, my gosh, you just they've been doing this for how many years now? They did it in the spring. They did it in fall camp. They've done it for six games. And now we're saying, well, we're going to change it. We're going to open it up. It's not that simple. And just people that watch these guys play need to understand it's not that simple. But on the other side of it, I think you got to do it. I just think you got to try it and you got to open it up. And uh, I would be really surprised if that's not the case. Hey, Ricky, I was wondering this about the wide receivers, especially uh, Keetron Jackson. This is not like a, a knock on them uh, per se, but just with your receiver experience, it it feels like they want to go for the big play with those guys sometimes, and they're able to hit on a Monterey or a Hal Presley or in the year jumps up and makes a big catch. But as far as the big contested catches, especially to a guy like Keetron, it still seems like that's sort of a work in progress, and he's not quite the guy who's ready to just jump up and rip it away from a guy, right? He's still, I guess, e- evolving, but he's got the size. He's got all sorts of things. Where does that ultimately come from, that, that mentality of I'm going to jump up and if it's in within reach, I'm going to rip it away from the guy. It's not going to get batted away or I'm not going to look for a flag. Well, I think it comes from repetition. And the other thing I think, Craig, it comes from doing it a couple of times in a game. When you go up in a game and you see that you've got the ability to rip it from the guy, then the next time you go up, you, you're thinking, that's my ball, I'm going to go get it. And uh, I just, I'm flashing back, but Taquan Thornton was one of the best I've ever seen at that, of going up and getting the ball. He had such good hands. And Denzel Mims, remember the Oklahoma mm-hmm. State game where he goes up and gets the fade at the end of the game? Yep. The defensive back had his hands on that ball just like Denzel did. That was a matter of who's going to pull it away. And Denzel won that one-on-one match. It, it was a good throw but it was a better catch, and it was very much contested. And and part of that's just natural God-given ability, and part of gaining the confidence that you're going to go up and get the ball, and when it goes up, uh, it's yours. And a lot of that comes with the repetition of doing it. I know Keytron's had a couple of shots, had one in the end zone, I think at UCF, and then one that was deep down the Baylor sideline uh, last week that he didn't come down with. But uh, – those are ones that you have to come down with. And I yeah. think part of the struggles in this receiving core, too, is separation. If you just watch the routes and the way they run, sometimes I don't think they get the separation that they should. And they don't flip guys' hips. They don't turn on them. They don't put the cornerback to make him just – anytime your body shifts as a corner, you're beat. I mean that we we've seen it on our side. You just you, it's hard to recover with the way these guys can run, and I just I think they need to spend some time with that one on one, just learning to get up on a corner and making him turn in a direction that he doesn't want to go, and then get that separation where Blake Shapin has room to zip that ball in there. Uh, I'm going to jump to Blake. That dude played football, got sacked six times, mm-hmm. and threw for what three twenty. Uh, 
that was a heck of a performance by Blake. I'm telling you, he was under duress the entire night. Isn't it amazing, Ricky, that it was last year where there were thoughts, and, and, and sometimes rightfully so, about whether he would get that extra yard because there were times when you wondered if he did, and, and he didn't most of the time. But he's gotten blown up at the goal line against, what, Texas State, absolutely devoured prior to the uh, comeback win against UCF before the kill, field goal, and then he just took a beating against Texas and also against both uh, last night or Saturday night against Texas Tech. Yeah, you know what? As you were asking that, I'm trying to remember – a play that he even tried to slide this year, and I don't remember. I don't either. Uh, uh, that kid is tough as a boot. He's got a great arm. He's got a quick arm. He's got a Namath-like arm where it's almost like he doesn't even cock. He just flips it by his ear, and the ball flies out of his hand. He's got the ability to be a very, very good college quarterback, and I just think he needs – the help around him to get there, which I, I think will happen. But uh, and besides that, he's just played tough. He he's made well. Let's go back to UCF. The run he made to set up the field goal. Yeah, that's what I, I want. They yeah, turned him every. They, mm-hmm. they turned him every which way but loose on that run. He went head first trying to get a couple extra yards to get that kick. And I'm thinking, good grief! I don't know if he's going to get up. But uh, he has played gutsy. And remember too, that's that's first game back with a hurt knee so uh i'm i'm really proud of blake and the game he's played yeah i think that if anybody questions his toughness outside of all that just look at how many times he's had to pick himself up off the ground of no fault of his own Mm -hmm. well and take away the six sacks the other night when we tried the boot or the wackle the minute he had the fake and rolled out he had the defensive end or linebacker right in his face Every time, yep, and and that was a helmet in the chin, and that hurts a lot more than a sack because you're not prepared for it. And a lot of times, when you take the sack, at least you see them coming. And on that boot or the waggle, they were in his face as soon as he turned around. And I don't know how many shots he took, stacked the sacks on top of it. How many shots did he take on just regular plays where he's trying to get rid of the ball? Ricky, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, and it it, it might be, but if you took the Baylor offense and everybody threw everybody's players into a, you know, the starters into a a bucket, like a draft, right now, based on production and based on what you've seen, how many of the Baylor starting 11 to 15 in rotation do you think would be chosen? Chosen by by other t- by by whoever was up next. Yeah, well, I I think Blake's in that list. Uh, I think Monterey's in that list because of speed. Uh, Keytron probably just because of of body. Uh, Richard Grease, and I'm not sure why where he went last week. You know, I, I we didn't see much out of him late in the game, and I haven't heard anything or reason for that. Uh, but you know, the, the list isn't long, and, and I think it's not long just because maybe we haven't seen them at their optimum and they haven't been in the right position to make those plays. And I think that maybe is not fair to them, just like we talked about the wide zone, which was the perfect offense for us in 21, and maybe not right now. So I, I think being fair, you have to get those guys in the right position to make plays. Ricky, thank you. Ricky Thompson, Baylor Radio sideline reporter, former 
Bears wide receiver also played, of course, in the NFL with Washington with us on 365 Sports. Uh, yeah, good stuff from Ricky, and uh, I think he's kind of in the mindset that a lot of people are, and uh, he's right on board with you know what Mac Rhodes said as far as you know tweaking things. I mean, now's the time to do it and and see what you can do, what you can possibly do. But um, yeah, I mean, he touched on a lot there, and I had to ask him about that because I didn't feel like there were a couple moments like throwing up the fade to Keytron Jackson of like it would have been a massive play and instead it's like defender bats the ball away and like hey sometimes defenders are just going to make the play and that's fine but I just feel like there's a lack of outside of Hal Presley like once every couple of weeks of a guy just going up and making the play right and Mm. um, that's something that definitely you know ends drives early and and doesn't allow you to score in the red zone you wonder why you have red zone efficiency issues well when you can't run the football you need somebody to do something but how else are you gonna score like jump up and grab the dadgum football out of the air and make the contested catch and so that's why I wanted to ask him about that And it's not just Keetron Jackson it's just that he was the guy sort of highlighted this offseason and you can see the makings of him being that guy it's just that he doesn't have that nastiness yet to be the guy to know that that's my football. And so that's why I wanted to ask him about that. But yeah, I think he, I think a lot of, everybody's in the same boat that's been watching. The one thing that was puzzling to me last night in watching some of the, or in reading some of the replies was I saw a little side conversations breaking out about, uh, you know, Max comments and, and why didn't he mention the defense? And I think it's just the way the conversation was going. Yeah. And also though, as part of that, it was like, well, the defense is definitely worse than the offense. If you read the metrics, and I, I, I'm not a numbers guy. I understand that they tell the whole tale of tale. I will take the defense over this offense nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten. I, I understand that they're not foolproof and they're not leak-proof or anything like that. But I at least feel like they're going to get a stop every once in a while. And they're going to make a play every once in a while. And with the offense, I just felt like it was nothing but just running in a circle, basically. So, yeah, they're not perfect by any means, but I don't believe the numbers of the numbers are telling you that the offense is better than the defense. I just I refuse to believe that, even if that is the I, – I just cannot possibly believe that. I'm well, sorry. Part of the reason those metrics are probably skewed is they have one player who's playing well in spite of it all when he's out there, and that's Blake Shapin. Like, yeah. Blake has played really, really, really well. When he's played. When he's played. Yeah. And, um, you know, he is – I I do like my concerns for this Baylor team as they they wind forward is you're also you know you've got you asked Ricky that question about who we would take well here's the deal um people can do that now right, right? so well, if things point. get bad enough or if it just gets to the and I think this happens it's not just about money now some of it of course is about money and money comes into it. But if you look at your long-term goals as a college football player, which is why you see some some people, I'm going to go transfer and be the third wide receiver at Bama because I really want to win a national. Like, I really want to be part of this. So if you think that the team you're on is far away from that, that thing you wanted to experience in college football, the pageantry and the playoff and all, like, all these things, then if one of those teams that can do that calls you, you will do that. And Blake Shapin, to me, is the one I would – I think he wants – I mean, obviously, I think he wants to be at Baylor, and he like they've he's been through enough here to where he's worked hard to get them to this point. But after this, he's got, what, two years left to play? And if in those two years it's just going to be him getting beat up, he's a quarterback. His value, even as a guy who's probably not in the top – 25 quarterbacks in the country, but maybe in the top 35 or so, 35 or 40 if you really look at it, 
goes way up because teams get desperate and then he could move on easily just because Baylor is not where he's going to want to be in the last two years of his career. Yeah, no, you're very right with that point. I just think with Blake Shaven, I don't know how much higher he can really go than a Baylor-type program. You yeah. know, I mean, is he going to go to Clemson? I mean, is he going to go yeah. play at Oklahoma? I don't think so, all due respect. Now, granted, we haven't seen him with a clean O-line yeah. in his career, so, I mean. Ever, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess the end of 2021, he had yeah. that, and he played pretty well, and then he got hurt very quickly afterwards. So, I know what you mean, though, Paul. Like, because, but we're less shaping and more of like Caden Jenkins, and, <laughs> you know, and Monterey Baldwin, Monterey Baldwin, yeah, and uh, you know, potentially Drake Dabney or yeah. guys like that. Yeah, that's where I go. Like, oh, great, Caden Jenkins got another interception. Oh, God, is somebody already in his DMs telling him like, hey, we've got this. Co- this corner and this safety, and you come play here and you plug in, and yeah, you'd fit right in, and we, plus we'll pay you, and and yeah, that's that's what you have to be concerned about. Because me and Grayson got in this conversation, I'm like, dude, you can't sell that we're building for like years because the rosters aren't guaranteed beyond one season anymore. So yeah, Caden Jenkins looks great, and Tevin Williams looks great. This secondary could be awesome in three years. Are they all going to be here? Or are they going to be spread out amongst other teams that NIL'd them out of Waco, you know? And so that's that's the part of the building thing is, yeah, it's great if you can build, but if you start building and then all of a sudden all the materials you had are no longer even there, I mean, are you even building? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it I makes mean, what are you building on if they yeah, go take all your about, tools? People are worried about where yeah. they're ranked nationally when it comes to recruiting. You better worry about where the hell you are with your own team, which is right. really also yeah. a part of the NIL era and the transfer portal era. All right, uh, when we come back, Nebraska football coach Matt Rule, they're 3-3, three and three, beat Illinois on Friday, and uh, he's next. It's an off week for them, so he has time for us, and this is 365 Sports. IdealMRI.com. Dr. Rob Maxey texted me yesterday when he knew we had Matt Rhodes on the show and wanted to kind of at least get some feedback from him, and, and so uh, it was a great question. Uh, about and it was one of the ones I asked and I appreciated Rob was interested in perhaps the way everything is set up at Baylor when it comes to recruiting players and or who they can bring in it was a great question and it was also a hell of an answer from Mac but they also what he does he's a partner for ideal MRI he is the uh, the dude for ideal MRI in Waco an MRI machine that two things. One, can find out what is bothering you, whether it's your shoulder, your lower back, it's a, your knee, something that could be uh, really hurting, like really hurting, like an, a ligament or a muscle or something else that shouldn't be where it is. And then on top of it, they could also find that there's nothing wrong. Everything's good. And then your doctor, your orthopedic surgeon can do something else as a diagnosis of how to make it feel better. And then it's $497 every single time, never more evermore 497 or less it's been that way for years the average mri is eleven hundred dollars you could do the math idealmri.com in the central texas marketplace off i-35 in the southern part of waco in our logo and advertising we say we are people that you can count on what does that mean it starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price but it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. 
Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for. Try the sick'em sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. Want to know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. It's pleasant. It's different than any other dentist's office. I really feel like they care. And it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy. And, you know, I bring my kids, and my kids love being here too. They really love the treasure box. <laughs> Staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. <laughs> I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more, stonewood-dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. He is the head coach of Nebraska, the Cornhuskers in Lincoln, Nebraska. Matt Rule joins us on 365 Sports with all of us. Can Craig, Paul, and, and David Smoke. And Matt, thank you for your time. We do have... That beautiful Nebraska helmet in the background, by the way, on our set that you sent us. We appreciate you doing that. Coach, you there? Hold on. Let me check. Okay. Well, that was a nice introduction that just went straight flat like a tire. But we'll see if we can get him reconnected, if not already. Yeah, Craig, it's right over your right shoulder. Uh, We may have lost him, Paul. We'll hear from uh, Coach Rule here in just a moment. Also, uh, a little bit later on today, James Crepia covers Oregon. Will join us in the 5 o'clock hour, Paul's top five as well. We're now joined by Nebraska football coach 
Matt Rule. We just mentioned that we have that beautiful helmet in the background on our set, by the way, the one that you sent us, and we appreciate that. What's going on, man? I, I, well, I, I hope it. Uh, I hope it. I hope it fits in. It looks good. No, it does. So we were bringing this up, and we'll get into obviously what you're doing in Lincoln. But we were bringing this up on just coaches and the way college football is today compared to the NFL. I've always been told, or at least heard, that the pro football level was so much more intense, and the pressure there was ten times what it is in college football. Has that changed at all? Uh, I don't know. I felt pressure. <laughs> I didn't. So um, <laughs> I. I uh... You know, I think I think the thing about the NFL is just the season's longer. You know, like you know, one or two losses doesn't derail your season. You know, if you're sitting there at, you know, if you're sitting there right now at you know two and four, four and two, three and three, whatever the NFL is right now, um, you know, you can you can just get on a run and and go. So whereas you know, in college, you know, you lose one or two games, sometimes your whole the whole season feels like it's it's gone by the wayside. So, um. But I, yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure in college, in, in college athletics and college football, and, and uh, you, better, you better know what you signed up for. Coach, that game last week against Illinois, I know that uh, a lot was of attention was made to you, you know, putting the pads out on Sunday and trying to get the, you know, the physical nature uh, of your team kind of riled up again. Uh, knowing you like we do, I, I got to, I guess on Friday, I, I got to watch a lot of that game and. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if that game had been three to nothing Nebraska, but you guys inflicted the kind of punishment you did, you'd have been just fine with that. Yeah, I don't. I don't really care about the score. I, I told the guys I didn't even care about the outcome. Um, I wanted the tape. You know, to me, it's always about the tape. What does the film look like? You can sometimes lose to a better team and play a good game. You can sometimes beat a team that you're better than and not play a good game. And so I, you know, we're we're, we're in a building process here, and so I wanted the effort and the physicality. To be, you know, to be at the level it's supposed to be, and it's not like we haven't been that. But um, you know, I, I after playing Michigan, um, I felt like when you know we got behind, like we just kind of resigned ourselves to losing, and like you know the old oh here we go again. And as, as a coach, you know, I, I had to, I have to cut that out. I can't allow myself to do it. I couldn't allow us to do it as a team. So we uh, we went out and we played football again, just to remind ourselves, hey, this is what we do. We play football. And uh, Friday night. You know, I was so proud. You know, we, we kept turning the ball over, and I wasn't proud of turning the ball over. Turned the ball over in the red zone. The defensive guys, you know, kept screaming at me to get out of the way. They wanted to go play again. So it felt like, it felt like you know, Jordan Williams and, and, and Clay Johnson and all those guys I was blessed to coach at Baylor just loving to go out and play defense. Coach, is there a noticeable difference going into a bye week or an open week with that win as opposed to, hey, if that had turned out and, and, and been another loss for you, is there a noticeable difference? And I guess also that extra buy-in of like, hey, let's just go play football, and they did that. Does that does that carry over immensely into a bye week? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, at the end of the day, anytime you have a question, anytime, you have a, anytime we have a question of effort and physicality and competitiveness, um, that has to be addressed. And so I thought we answered that. Um, on Friday night. Now, what I'm trying to explain to our guys is they have to re-answer it. <laughs> they have to answer it every week. And, um, you know, but, I, but again, it was, it was, what was really great, Craig, was the ability to sit there after the game and say, Sunday night, you know, guys thought it was the end of the world. I said, I guarantee you in 10 years, it'll be one of your, your, your best memories from your time in Nebraska. You'll, you'll be talking about it. It'll be a tall tale. But after winning that game, was it worth it? And they said, yes. I'm like, well, then why don't we just do that every week? And so, um, and then coming into the bye week, you know, we, we put the ball down. We were out there at seven o'clock this morning. We, we just pl- 
played. We competed. You know, we're not working on the next game yet. We're, we're just, again, working on ourselves as a team, making sure we're a team that plays hard. Were there any people clutching their pearls because you happened to, my God, put pads on on Sunday? Uh if they did, they didn't say anything to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought about it. I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm very cognizant of being safe, right? You know, I'm not going to anyway ever harm anybody. But we only played like 48 snaps on offense or something like that, and we rotated a lot of guys on defense. So, um, you know, we felt like it was. You know, we talked to the trainer. He felt like it was safe. Had it not been on Sunday, it was going to be on Monday. I can mm-hmm. tell you that much. You know, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole, and we were in full pads again on Tuesday. Um, you know, we took Monday as a walkthrough day. We were full pads again on Tuesday. But at the end of the day, again, none of it was punishment. It was an opportunity to go play football. And uh, I thought the players answered the call, and uh, they carried it over. You know, our rallying cry on Friday night was, you know, just play like it's Sunday night, and uh, they did that. How much of your job, especially in the the short term, in reestablishing Nebraska's identity is – like educating your players on the history of what the program was because you know that they wouldn't know like you, you would know and kind of illuminating to them that you, you wanted to play physical that was nebraska's identity you you knew at the very least that when the huskers rolled into your place or you rolled into lincoln that you were in for a bare knuckle brawl and that's something maybe they they haven't had known about or have seen but you have to to tell them about that yeah, I think I think we have so many guys here that love Nebraska. You know, they're like dyed in the wool, you know, corn huskers. I think, you know, the 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 legacy of the great teams of the seventies, eighties and nineties, uh, even Coach Polini's teams in the you know two thousands, the legacy of those great teams and the black shirts. I mean it, it it's omnipresent. I mean you, you you hear about it all the time. I think the biggest thing that we've tried to do is make sure our guys understand that like legacy is a continuum and you're living up to the legacy of those who came before you. Uh, but, you know, you have this opportunity to be a corn husker. You have this opportunity to be a black shirt in this moment. And you're building that legacy for people who come after you. And so not not just saying, hey, you know, because I'm a Nebraska player, I, I deserve X, Y, and Z. But more, you know, hey, I, I play at Nebraska. This is what it means. But this is what I have to make it mean. And I think that's that's been a key for us. I think that's been a key for our guys to understand that it's not just about the legacy they live up that they live up to, but the legacy they build for others to live up to that come after them. Coach, what was it like? I, we haven't talked to you since your your first game there, but what was it like just that first time running out into a, a sea of red? It was unbelievable. I, I, I you know, I've, I've, uh, I've got to tell you, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a night game. You know, we obviously were sitting there at zero and two. You know, uh, you know, the Colorado loss was, you know, kind of an ugly loss, and you know, you're not sure what it's going to be like. You know, people in the hotel, people on the bus pouring in. I was just overwhelmed with the support. Uh, walking into the stadium, uh, but then you know you get there. It's it's, it's warm ups, and, and literally there's ninety thousand people there to watch warm ups. You know they're all in their seats, and um, you know Isaac Gifford and Luke Reimer, two of our veteran players, are sitting there talking to me uh, right before the game. You know right as right, you know we're you know finishing warm ups, and uh, Luke uh, or Isaac said to me, "Excuse me, you know, coach, this will never get old." Hmm. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> you know he's been here for five years. I said I I, I can see that. You know it's just an unbelievable atmosphere. The people care. And uh, makes you feel very, very, you know, you feel very, very much so that you need to go out and play well for them. I know you have bigger goals, higher standards, but how much would it be, how important would it be just to get that program back in a bowl that used to be like breathing for them that hasn't been the last five or six years? 
Well, Smoke, you know me well enough to know I won't even say that word probably out loud. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, I mean, but, but no, to, to your point, we've got to we've got to make ourselves relevant. We have to earn respect, and you, you know, to, to be, you know, we need the practices. Like, you know, we have a really we have a, a really really good group of young players that like they, they we need to go to a bowl game and they need to practice for 15 practices or 16 practices and get themselves ready you know so um that's the expectation here so we have to have that expectation you know going to bowl games is really really pivotal in building a program and so um you know i think the biggest thing for me is is it all ties hand in hand you know uh, we have to play in a way that that earns people's respect that people want to watch us play uh, hence you know kind of how why friday night was important at the same time, we have to go play, you know, teams from the SEC or from the Big 12 and play in bowl games so that we continue to build that brand nationally. Uh, people people can see, hey, what Nebraska football is all about. I know that right now you're focused on getting to that point in the season, but next year the league is going to change um, a lot. And you, you not only do you have to prepare for the Wisconsin's and the Michigan's and Ohio State's uh, of the world, Penn State's, you have to deal with – USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington, all four teams who are pretty damn good right now. Uh, and they have different styles. How much do you have to take into that account as you build the program for the future and what you're going to do schematically and, and all those things? Yeah, I think that's, I think it's vital. I think, I think it's important. I think it's important to understand, you know, a, what your recruiting base is, B, the type of players that you can get, C, you know, uh, what can win, you know, I mean, we, you know, we played two, I think we played three games now with like 15 to 15 plus mile an hour wins, you know, um, you know, we played, we played, it was 25 to 30 mile an hour wins at times of the game at Illinois. So to be an air raid offense, I don't know would work out great for us. Um, you know, playing defense, playing special teams, and we blocked the kick and, and stole a possession on kickoff team in that game, you know, being a team that can run the ball and run some option. I think that's, that's smart for us, you know, so, um, you know, we, we probably, you know, when we play teams like USC, we're probably, you know, we'll go out there. Hopefully when they come here, it'll maybe be a cold, windy day. And uh, so our, I think our style just has to fit, um, A, who we're playing, and, and but, but also, B, like our weather, our elements, the things that we have at Nebraska. Uh, just like, you know, I was a, a two-back I-formation power football guy at Temple when we came to Baylor, and you're looking around, and you have, you know, you have four NFL receivers and a couple NFL running backs. You don't. You don't sit there and say, hey, you know, let's be in the eye. You know, we, we spread it out. I mean, obviously not like what Browse did, but, you know, we played with three receivers and four receivers because it didn't make a lot of sense to have Denzel Mims stand on the bench next to me. So I think it's a combination of all those things. Coach, is, uh, is it easier to get things done quickly in recruiting uh, or reshape a team than it was in your prior uh, stints, uh, because when you left uh, to go to the pros, a lot of things obviously changed in college football. Is it easier now, or is it equally as difficult and just difficult in different ways? Yeah, you know, I'm still pretty pretty early in the process, so I would probably you know deserve some judgment. What I will say is, you know, I was, you know when we came to to, to to Baylor and you know um, you know we got there in December. Um, hey, we're lucky there was no early signing period back then because because mm-hmm. we would have a lot of guys would have been gone. You know, Charlie would have already signed with SMU. Abram would have already signed with Tulsa, you know. So, you look at those guys that came in mid-year without ever even visiting. Uh, those guys were unbelievably important for us. Um, but we were only able to sign, I think, like 28 kids that year. You know, I think we signed 40 when we got here. So, the the redu- reduction on the roster limits and all those things, um, 
allows you to, you know, really allows you to, to bring in a bunch of players if you need a bunch of players, you know. At the same time, um, you know, I, I don't think the answer, personally, is, is huge roster turnover year after year. It's not the answer in the NFL. Free agency is not the answer. It's not the answer, I don't think, in college. You know, you still have to grow and develop your players, uh, with, but you do need to have the ability when you lose somebody to go out and get somebody who's equally as good. Matt, you, you, your run at Baylor was 1-11, then you made the bowl game at 7-6, and six, and then, of course, the team that played for a Big 12 title and then ended up playing Georgia as they were about to get really good in the Sugar Bowl. Do you have any regrets at all about your time at Baylor? Uh, no. No, I, I loved my time at Baylor. I love Mac Rhodes. Uh, I love Jeremiah Dickey. Um, I loved all the people that I worked with. You know, I love the president. I love I loved the university. I love the campus. Um you know, um, you know, we make, we make decisions in life. I'm not a big regret person. And mm-hmm. the only thing I've ever regretted is not effort. You know, um, even go, you know, even going to Carolina. Well, you know, it didn't work out for me. I don't, I don't regret a thing about, you know, about going there. Um, you know, but I, I did love living. In, I did love living. You know, in 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 Waco. I did love the people. I love I love some of the restaurants. I love the things we got to do. So, uh, my daughter Leona, you know, she'll tell everybody she's going to Baylor someday. So. Um, no regrets. I mean, I, I think uh, you know, the only thing probably I ever regretted was that that um, you know that uh, uh, you know that that, that 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 Sugar Bowl. So much of the attention was that you know, hey, I was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I remember being, you know, I just never felt like that was fair to the players. You know, it's hard not, you know, it's hard to figure out how to handle that. But um, if there's anything I regret, it would probably be that. But I'm so grateful for my time there and the people that were there. And I took a lot of pride with you know when you know obviously I went through the COVID year, but. Dave did a great job, but I took a lot of pride in all those all those players. You know, I remember uh, uh, Petrie and Terrell uh, FaceTime me from the locker room after they won the the Sugar Bowl Big Twelve Championship game. Excuse me, seeing McVeigh, you know, make that tackle. You know, I mean, I, I was proud of the work that we had done with them. Obviously, we didn't do it; Dave did it. But you know, I was really happy for those kids. I, I met some great people there. Would you have had that same kind? Could you have seen? And COVID was strange. It's like an asterisk. It depends if you were good or not. But you had built that program in year three. And do you feel like they was on the verge of having the twelve and two year had you stayed? I I, I would never want to say that because I'd never want to do anything that takes away from what you know what Dave and them did. I mean, I think they did. I think Coach Moran has done a wonderful job there. You know, uh, if when we were at Temple, you know, we 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 went two and ten. You know, we went six and six. We didn't get to go to a bowl game. We went to the conference championship game the next year and lost. We came back the next year and won. Those kids were there was no way they were going to lose it again. You know, um, you know, it mirrors that there. Just, but I wasn't there to do it. I, you know, we we chose to leave, and, and I think Coach Aranda did a, a marvelous job of handling, obviously, COVID, and then and then taking that team. That was a really talented team, and uh, taking them, you know, taking them and getting a, a great young quarterback in shape, and taking them, all, taking them all the way. I, I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, seeing the sea of red for the first time. Uh, there's a guy sitting in my right uh, who has never done that, uh, and. I mean, he bleeds Nebraska red, Matt. Um, do you do you think we need to get that done for Smokey in the next year? Yeah, that, that sounds ridiculous to me. I mean, I, obviously he knows the coach. <laughs> he knows a bunch of people. So. I, I know the most important person, Susan Elza. I, I think That's I, exactly right. So, <laughs> I think they, they take a little, a little less jogging on the weekends and get in the car and take a trip. I mean, let's go. You know, one of the reasons that's happened, I've been to some of the great moments in Nebraska history, but all of them bowl games or road games, but I've never been to Lincoln because it was always high school football on Friday, and it was, like, impossible. But didn't you say that there's some new flights now that come out of Texas to get to Lincoln or Omaha that weren't there before? 
Yeah, well, yeah, there, there were some. Unfortunately, a couple of them sold it, so they didn't go great for us. There, but there's one from Houston. There's one from Houston directly to Lincoln that, that's helped us in recruiting. And then, you know, obviously Dallas goes right to Omaha. So I, when I fly in, I usually fly into Omaha. It's only about 40 minutes to my house. So, um, but yeah, you really have no excuse. You know, there's 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 time, there's ways to get here, time to get here, and I think we'll treat you pretty good. But yeah. it really is a great, great, great atmosphere and a great place. Is it even better than you thought it would be? Yes. Yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed everything about being here. I've enjoyed the, you know, I mean, it's after, after the first game that we won, you know, I'm, I'm, I go to the press conference, I walk out, and Tommy Frazier and Eric Croucher sitting there waiting to, waiting to, uh, waiting to, uh, you know, congratulate me and introduce me to some people. Up, uh, we came in on, you know, he came in this Monday, and Coach Osmer came in and watched film with us, and you know, because we've been running some option plays, and and uh, we asked him to come in. You know, I called him today. Would you come in and watch them with us? So, you know, you you got to you get to do a film session with. Uh, Tom Osborne, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the relationship I had with Grant Taft. I mean, those, those are coaching icons and when they're willing to, you know, look over your shoulder and help you, but not, you know, not never want to step on your toes. I mean, they're, they're, it's really special. There are thoughts that Nebraska, when they move to the big 10, which of course financially has been amazing, but that the, perhaps the footprint of being a part of the big 12 in the state of Texas disappeared you have obviously spent a great amount of time along with your staff in this state how important is that and how important has it been to reestablish that yeah it's, it's critical i mean my goal is to have six to eight guys a year from the state of texas so when we look up one day we've got you know we've got 30 35 40 guys you know from texas on the team so if we can have you know 30 35 guys from the state of nebraska 30 35 guys from texas and then you know sprinkle some guys from other places um I think that would be, I think that'd be great. And so, um, yeah, obviously not, not being in the state, you know, hurts, you know, hurt, you know, maybe can hurt a little bit, but, you know, I think as, as, as college football is going national, as, as the A&Ms and Texas is, and now Oklahoma, they recruit, you know, more nationally, uh, it opens up opportunities and it opens up opportunities for guys that want to play our style of football that, you know, the big 10 is going to be, you know, one of the preeminent conferences, uh, if not the preeminent conference in college football, really us in the SEC, as things move forward. And so um, as we've gone in Texas and spoken at the high school coaches clinics and all those things, we've told them, Hey, we want to be uh, Texas's big 10 team. You know, if you want to, you want to play in the big 12, great. You know, there's lots of opportunities. If you want to play in the SEC, there's opportunities. You know, if you want to play in the big 10, you know, come to Lincoln. You have uh, Nebraska over the years. The West Coast footprint has been there as well. Some of their best players ever have been from California or even up in the uh, upper Northwest of, of this country. Does the addition of Washington, Oregon, USC, and UCLA doesn't that make that even more of an opportunity for you? Yep. Yeah. We 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 uh you know we hired Tony White who you know Tony's Tony's uh got some uh, um, uh, El Paso ties but spent a lot of time out west coast so he's he's recruited the west coast as well so you know we'll go anywhere you know there's a lot of great players from New Jersey and Pennsylvania over the years you know Mike Rozier and Irving Fryer to name a few so. We've, we've continued that pipeline of going back to, you know, kind of where we're from. So I think, you know, I think, you know, that we're going to search high and low. And as, as you know, this is a conference now that stretches from New Jersey and Pennsylvania to, to California, Washington, Oregon. I think what's pretty cool is, you know, some people are going to be flying five and six hour flights. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be an hour to two hours, maybe sometimes two and a half hours for each flight. Uh, we're in the central, central part of the country. And we think it gives us an advantage, hopefully, uh, when you get late into November, uh, you know, in coming years. One more question, if you don't mind, Matt. Thank you for your time. Is that uh, sure. your team is three and three? It is the off week, so you can work on, as you mentioned, a lot of different things. 
what do you and having a quarterback that was not your plan starting quarterback and the job that he has done how remarkable has he played oh it's been phenomenal what he's been able to do uh it's funny before i was talking to you guys he was in here and we were watching we were watching charlie brewer um uh, a couple of plays that we run you know and i was showing him how charlie doing it you know and just some of the things that he does charlie did naturally that were pretty impressive um but uh yeah i think heinrich's done a phenomenal job he's a guy that he's a He's a Husker, you know. He's 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 a, he's a Nebraska kid, you know. Dad dad walked on him, played football here, played fullback here. Um, he's a great 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 athlete. Mom was a track star, sisters are track stars. But you know, he he stepped up and was ready for his moment. And that's you know that's kind of the way we practice. It's the way we do things. Um, you know, we're trying to get the culture here where we don't make excuses. And uh, you know, when Jeff got hurt, he went in. You know, he found a way. He's, he's won three of his last four, so um, it's not perfect. Uh, but the great news is he has the rest of this year and he has two more years. So hopefully he can continue to develop. And uh, I really like the guy. Well, it's no surprise that, you know, uh, Nebraska legacies come from fullbacks because it is fullback you, yes. which, le- <laughs> which leads me to my question for you. Top five Nebraska fullbacks. Oh, you're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> you want, you want help? Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, well, I'm not, not in, in no specific order. I don't want to get myself in any trouble, right? But I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, well, I'm going to go Rathman. I'm going to go, people don't know Roger Craig moved to fullback when they brought in Mike Rogier, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go him. I'm going to go the McAvica brothers. I'm going to go Schuster. That's those, those five. Um, what am I missing? Smoke anybody I'm missing that I need? Schlesinger, isn't he the one that scored? Oh, like my the go ahead touchdown. Yeah. Sorry, Schlesinger. Oh, my goodness. No doubt. No it, doubt. And there were others. There were others. I mean, Jeff Kenny back in the day when they won the national title ran like one uh, with Jerry Taggy as the quarterback. So that was that's that he ran like a fullback. I love it. <laughs> hey, thank you. I know that it's it's uh, a, a lot to for ha- to have you on the show, but it is the off week. Great timing. We appreciate you and and good luck moving forward. And I will. I I have to do what Paul said. There's no more excuses. My God, you have Garrett, Susan, Elza. Uh, Coach Hume's daughter, you, uh, among others, I, I need to get the link in and we'll work that out. Yeah, I'll just say this. I'm not coming back on the show until you've seen you face to face. That's oh that fair. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll talk soon. Appreciate you guys. Thank all you, right. Matt Rule. Nebraska football. I've seen Nebraska all over the country. Greg, remember, we watched him win a national title in, 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 uh, in, in Tempe when they hammered your buddy, Steve yeah, Spurrier, welcome, Paul. in yeah. Florida. 62-24, oh. Tommy Frazier with one of the greatest runs in college football history, especially in a national title game, the spinning out, oh. um, going down the length of the field. But, uh, yeah, always good to talk to Coach Rule. Um, I think there's a like, – I won't pretend like uh, I'm friends with him, so to speak, yeah. but, like, there's always, I think, going to be a bond that I was one of the – I don't know, three people asking him questions in the darkest of days when yeah, he first took the job and having to hear him answer some really tough questions and having to ask some tough questions at times, you know, or just uh, just knowing that whole scene. Like, he came in here and he did a great job, and I know he'll do a great job in Lincoln. Um, and don't, you know, we're allowed to do this as media, but, you know, he's not really, or his staff or players allowed to think this way. But these next three games, they could get bowl eligible. Yeah. Those last three games, they better hope they won the last three yeah. games because, you know, there there is a, a thing when they come back, an opportunity there with, you know, Northwestern, 
uh, Purdue, and then Michigan State, who's obviously reeling. I mean, those are those are the next three games, so they've got a big opportunity to go ahead and get four, five, and six potentially. But then, yeah, you don't you don't get that done, and then it's like Wisconsin, and then it's and they, uh, can, they haven't beat Wisconsin in forever. It seems like yeah, and then it's uh, Maryland, who's playing you know yep. obviously really good ball right now, and it's also Iowa uh, there at the end of the year. So yeah, a, a, an interesting schedule. But getting that Illinois win, I think, was just huge for them, um, and you know not. Uh, not necessarily like sexy football, but like Big Ten, just goal line stand and, you know, just get a win. And uh, I think that suits him very well. And I think that suits Nebraska very well. And I think it's going to be a great pairing moving forward. And um, I'm just, I'm happy for him, happy for Evan Cooper and all the other guys, Garrett McGuire, all those folks that they've got a great opportunity. Since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, Wisconsin has won like 11 of 12 times. Yeah. Um, They do run air raid. Which, yeah. And then like... We'll see how that works out because they've got the same, like probably yeah. even worse uh, conditions to deal with later in the year than than even Lincoln, Nebraska does. Uh, my memory of the of the Tommy Frazier game was I was watching with my best friend. My dad had taken my mom to Las Vegas as like a Christmas present, and I was staying with him for the whole time they were there, or maybe they were in London. I can't remember. He took it on a vacation. I didn't go, but. We were watching that game, and my friend is a ga- still to this day. He's a huge Gators fan, so he walked into that night so excited. Tommy Frazier took off on that run, and I did not see him for thirty minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Neither did <Yeah>. Florida. <laughs> no, I mean I did not see him for thirty minutes. I remember sitting there. His dad came back in the rooms like, "Where's Billy?" And I was like. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's just that's one of those where like the damn breaks, you know. That's one of those where you're like, it's okay to lose, but not like that, you know. Not not with a guy making the highlight reel play that's going to be shown forever and has been shown forever for the last, you know, gosh, how many years is that? Like that was ninety twenty five years, ninety five, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, twenty five years. Um, but yeah, that was a really salty. That was a good football. Uh, that was a good Florida team. Really good Florida team. That was a really salty Nebraska team, and obviously they brought Lawrence Phillips back. And you had him and Frazier, and it's like, man, that's that's just unfair. Um, that 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 old Nebraska run, but uh, yeah, good memory, and uh, hoping that you know Matt Rule can you know bring some more banners back. And I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's at a good spot for him and, and that staff. And and I think yeah, they just need a little bit of time to keep building it up. But uh, I, I'm a believer that they're gonna you know get that program to a place that it's proud of if they haven't already uh, at this point. All right. uh, When we come back, we have much to get to, including looking and focusing in on Washington against Oregon, uh, two unbeaten teams. We showed you that note earlier about it's what was since 2004 when two teams in the Pac-12 have been 5-0 and playing each other as highly ranked as they both are. We'll have uh, Softy Mahler on Washington tomorrow, so wear your headsets or your earplugs for that tomorrow. He's tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've seen him. He's very active on Twitter. Um, yeah, he's got. He's been yeah. getting into it with some, I guess, Oregon State or Washington State fans. Over, yeah, they're mad at him. Over, uh, you know, I guess just his way that he views the exodus of Washington and, and Oregon versus, you know, obviously how – State and uh, or Oregon State and Washington State feel about it. So, yeah, I saw that earlier today, him, him getting into that. So, yeah, I'm sh- I can't wait to, to hear him tomorrow. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll get to the 5 o'clock hour. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Emery Winter, Levi Caraway. Don't forget, please, every weeknight at 1030 on the CW, locally here in the Waco area, we have 365 Sports tonight, something that Emery does. He boxes together the various segments of the interviews or our discussions and puts them up. That's 10.30 to 11.30 every night, weeknight, on the CW 365 Sports Tonight.
Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on for great customer service, uh, great pricing, and uh, just uh, people that you can count on over there at Richard Carr. I've been over there a couple of different times uh, to get things fixed up, and each time Donnie and the crew over there have been uh, nothing but great uh, when it comes to customer service, making me feel comfortable and making me um, confident in what they're doing with my vehicle and that they'll get it back uh, not only with great pricing but also in a good amount of time as well. But if you're looking right now for a new vehicle, they've got deals going on. Highway 6, is a, it's a bit of a mess because of construction, but they're going to make it worth your while as you can save over $7,000 on new 2023 GMC Sierra 1500s. You can also finance for 0.9% for qualified buyers, and they've got dozens of Sierra trucks out there on the lot right now, so you can check out the inventory, um, but you also see the great pricing and financing options that will get you into a new GMC Sierra today. And if you're a military or a first responder, you can also save $500. And that $500 discount also comes with the Buicks for military and first responders. First class luxury in the Buick line and value like no other when it comes to their SUVs. Ranked number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers Buick. Uh, they're offering amazing value right now, such as 5000 off a new full-size 2023 Buick Enclave, 4000 off 2023 mid-size Buick Envisions, and again, that $500 discount for military and first responders. Plus, you get special financing uh, as well, but you can get to the details over there with the fine folks at Richard Carr. They're also trading for the best, so they've got a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks. If that's more up your alley and your budget and everything else, they can hook you up there. Or if you're just looking to get your tires worked on, for example, right now is a great time over at the service department because uh, not only are they constantly standing by to keep you on the road, but they can't be beat right now on tires, offering a price match guarantee on the lowest price comparable tires in town. So service your car or truck with the people you can count on. For over 24 years in Central Texas, run by proud Central Texans, proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at Alliance AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. 
sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance, and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing, if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI.com. It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. This segment with former Baylor quarterback and Baylor radio analyst J.J. Joe is sponsored by Alliance Bank Central Texas, where customers have confidence that their financial needs are in good hands with two locations in Waco. We could play J.J., but it was from Monday. So uh, he is on Mondays with us at 445. David Smoke, Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke. This is 365 Sports. I saw this note. You know, Iowa State's kind of battled back. They got throttled by, what, Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago. But this is from Chris Williams, who covers Iowa State. The most impressive thing about Matt Campbell at Iowa State, check out the conference winning percentage compared to his peers. It's notable that he did it in the Big 12 round robin Never played an uneven schedule like some before him. Many outside fan bases will scoff at this. That's okay. But generally, Iowa State has a chance to win every Saturday where they, prior to Campbell, it was not realistic. And you look at the names, including Hall of Famer like Johnny, yeah, Johnny Majors and Earl Bruce, who ended up having a great career. Donnie Duncan ended up being a really good athletic director. Uh, Walden, McCarney. Then you see Chiswick, who was there for a short cup of coffee. Then Rhodes. And now Matt Campbell. That's the, the winning percentage uh, compared to his team's uh, other coaches who have been in the Big 12 as far as Iowa State. So about every other game, there's a chance they win, and there's never been anyone close to that. Yeah, I guess Earl Bruce was somewhat close to it, second on the list. Yeah, um, that's one of, I think I think Matt Campbell should be Michigan State's top choice, in my, in my opinion. I think he, uh, he would fit there. Um, and they, he's kind of the guy that they need, uh, whether he goes or not. I mean, he, you know, is it, that's up for debate, but, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's really good. And he's got, if you base it on the TCU game last week, he's got the team playing exactly as he wants them to right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wish we had spent more time like talking about the games that happened. I mean, uh, because that was a game that I really think was a big result for Iowa state and kind of a turning point potentially in their season, um, it helped that TCU threw four interceptions uh, in that game. That certainly helped you you win twenty seven to fourteen. But uh, they're they're coming along. You know, Rocco Beck's doing a, a good job. They're always going to have a really solid defense. 
Um, but they were able to capitalize on TCU not playing well, and they're they're playing better themselves. And and I do think he's right in pointing out that pretty much every game that you line up, you feel like they've got a chance to win. And um, you know, I don't I don't know what that says about the the rest of the year for them coming up. But I think you look around the Big Twelve, and I um, mean, is there really anybody you're going to rule out that they don't have a chance against? Um, I I don't think so. Maybe Texas would be the only one to go like, yeah, they're probably not winning that game. But then again, it's Ames the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Like who who's healthy, who's not? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think that that was a monster win for them uh, against TCU because I certainly wasn't expecting them to beat the Frogs. I just thought TCU would just have a little bit too much. But, you know, again, turned them over a bunch, uh, created some havoc, and, and got that dub at home. So they're sitting, you know, pretty nice now at 3-3. Three and three, And in a in a league where everybody's like 3-3 three and three or 2-4 and four right now, like they're, they're right there in the mix. They're just on that, that Tier B uh, that everybody resides on behind Oklahoma and Texas right now. But, yeah, I think given the way you led into the season with all of the, the gambling stuff and just, you know, Matt Campbell and where's this program going and, and all of that, um, they've been remarkably consistent. And I do think we take for granted that that's Iowa State. You know, that's not, you know, name a, name a program that you expect to be super consistent all the time. Uh, that's not a, a program that was, uh, you know, very much in the in the public discourse when you talked about the Big Twelve for for a long time, and now they are somebody that yeah you, you take note of and you know that they're going to beat at least one or two teams along the way. That's going to be a little bit of a surprise or a bit of like oh what are they doing or like uh, you know three years ago they're going to find themselves in the Big Twelve title game when all of the pieces come together. Um, it's just that you can't expect to have that probably consistently where you're going to have that you know that coming together of all the right players at the right time. But you know. Every few years, yeah, I think that's absolutely doable, and so yeah, been fun to see them, uh, you know, respond to adversity and find themselves at five hundred at the halfway mark, and uh, be an interesting team to watch the the rest of the way because this is a wide open Big Twelve uh, for everybody not named Oklahoma and Texas, basically at this point. And he needs to uh, he needs to really advertise that Brock Purdy came from him. Oh yeah, I'm sure they are. Yeah, I'm sure, they they are, but to, like that yeah. needs to be that like. Well, not only that, but yeah. uh, Brees uh, Hall, Brees Hall, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean. And there's others that he's he's produced uh, NFL wise that yeah absolutely but yeah especially Purdy Paul like that that guy so, have a banner of him on the outside of the stadium or yeah. you know something I'm I'm sure they're taking full advantage of that uh, Iowa State football like a lot of programs goes back like a hundred years but if you really look at their history and we mentioned some of the coaches Dan McCarney had a run of three consecutive years where they had a winning season nine and three seven and five well seven and seven it's still you got to a bowl game. And then Earl Bruce had a nice run. Paul Rhodes had a decent run. But nobody, if you look at Matt Campbell, he at one point had five consecutive winning seasons. 17, 18, 19, 20 when they played Oklahoma in the championship game. And then 2021, it took a step back at 7-6 and the last couple of years. But, Craig, I 100% agree with all of what they dealt with prior to the year with the gambling probe and much more. He might be doing his best coaching job, at least right now with still Cincinnati on the road and much more to come. I just think you have to be realistic about your expectations, you know, and realize who you are. And I think Iowa State has a good grasp on who they are. And they're not expecting him to win 10 games every year. They're expecting to be competitive. I think he's he's definitely uh, kept them competitive to pretty good in certain years. And given, yeah, the circumstances this year, uh, I think they're they're much better than, than maybe you thought that they might be 
you know, just because of, of the adversity that they dealt with. But, yeah, that's a dangerous team. Like, you don't line up against them and just take it for granted. You know that they could give you uh, a fight. And Oklahoma, I think that just speaks to probably how good Oklahoma is in, in so many ways, m- more so than, oh, well, Iowa State's not very good. They blew them out. I think it's, hey, look, Oklahoma's pretty good. So, yeah, Iowa State's a, a dangerous team to watch the second half. We're about to feature Oklahoma, excuse me, Washington and Oregon with James Crepia, who covers Oregon for the Oregonian. And also, of course, the, the future of Oregon joining the Big Ten. This is 365 Sports. Everybody probably at some point has to battle the weight issue. You get a little lazy, you start to eat too much, and you're not working out. Your metabolism is not good. And so you look for a way, the easy way, to be able to continue to be undisciplined with your diet or what you do with exercise, and there are options. There is one way that works every time. Because it's methodically taking care of working out, losing weight, along with inches, and that feeling of when you put a pair of pants on and all of a sudden they're a little more loose, that is, that's a great feeling. You just feel better. Walk through the front door at Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness. Ask for help, the personal trainers from Christy London to Randall Corley to Nathan Roach. And then on top of that, they have all the equipment you could imagine from weights to machines, classes galore every single day but you have to walk through the front door. They will help you once you do. The best way, the most methodical way, and the best way to not just lose inches and weight, but also sustain the success of all the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses. But when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one size fits all strategy. Cam Heathcott, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why we take the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Cam Heathcott in Conroe at 936-756-7717. Edward Jones, member SIPC. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men... An exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. 
Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is sponsored by Edward Jones Investments with financial advisor Brad Wilson. Investing his time and experience back to you and your money during today's changing times. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Great game coming up this weekend. Uh, among the bangers in the top 25, Washington and Oregon and Pac-12, uh, a, ch- a good chance that somebody digs themselves in a pretty good spot for later on down the road with the championship game. But there are a lot bigger fish to fry. James Crepia from the Oregonian, good friend of ours, joins us on 365 Sports. James, I saw a stat where this is the first time in like 19 years the two teams 5-0 and in the Pac-12 are meeting at this particular time. How much hype are you feeling in Eugene, or how much is there in Seattle? Well, there's a pretty healthy amount, as you might imagine, yes. Because, and look, this this rivalry is probably the best on the West Coast, uh, top to bottom, quite honestly. And then when we'll continue in that regard when it moves to the Big Ten, and uh, for that matter, when Oregon and SC play, and, and Washington and SC play this season. Uh, that won't continue on an annual basis in the Big Ten, but it will continue in the Big Ten. Um, but this is probably the biggest one on the West Coast, and it's been really significant for the, particularly the last 30, 35 years or so. And in for the last five meetings, it's spanned six seasons because in 2020 they didn't end up playing in what would have been a division title game at the time. It's, it's had consequences. It's had significance, and it's gotten ratcheted up uh, the, this last five years in particular, where this game has had significant meaning to what was division races now is just uh, races for, you know, a spot in the conference title game and with a conference that's obviously going away. Uh, and also national consequences that even though, the, yes, this is the first time, you know, with 5-0 and a piece uh, in that regard and both in the top 10, so it takes it to the biggest in the rivalries history, the national consequences were significant even in recent years, even if not for undefeated, because in that sense it was, well, if a Oregon after losing the opener in 2019 to Auburn, or if a Washington losing the season opener to also Auburn in 2018, if either of them in their respective seasons were going to stay alive in any kind of playoff race, let alone conference championship races, division races, you had to win, you know, that year uh, in this game. And in 18, lo and behold, uh, Oregon still ended up winning the 
regular season matchup and an overtime, and that was a great game. But Washington won the division and played for the conference title the following year. Oregon went up to Seattle, won, won the division, played for the conference championship and upset Utah. So it's been a game that has picked up, and this and all the bill, all the billing and all the hype uh, this week is deserved. You know, these two programs have put themselves in this position, and it didn't happen overnight. And it's a credit to, obviously, these two coaching staffs who are each in their second seasons with two of the best quarterbacks in the country also in their second seasons with these programs, but fifth seasons in college football. James, where does the rubber meet the road on this game where, like, it is hard for me, having, I've watched enough of both teams to 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 have, you know, tried to break down, you know, where the weaknesses could be, but these, I, I can't really find where it's going to be. It seems like two teams that are just loaded for bear that are going to be ready to, to, to take swing haymakers at each other. Well, certainly it would, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a weakness on either offense. Uh, I mean, they're both so prolific uh, in any number of areas. Uh, and whatever even somewhat weakness uh, Washington may have in its run game offensively, it's so, so abundant in its passing game uh, and probably has top to bottom the best receiving core in the Pac-12 and certainly one of the best in the country. Uh, and again, look at the production. and It's, it's hard to argue. Uh, they're, they're doing it. And Oregon's receiving core really loaded as well. Uh, probably a little bit more of an edge in the run game, but you're really kind of nitpicking at that point on offense. Neither offensive line is allowed very much by way of anything in terms of pressure, negative plays, sacks, pass rush, anything in that regard. That's why they're 5-0. and That's why they've blown out a lot of their opponents so far. Defensively, on paper, if you just look at the numbers, yeah, Oregon has the better defense. But if you delve into it a little further, uh, giving credit where it is due and contextualizing, again, caliber of competition that neither of them have played anything like <clears throat> what they're about to face this weekend against each other. Uh, but Oregon has certainly padded its stats against some inferior competition. Washington, when its best players are on the field, if you go inside the numbers, when the games have been competitive, usually pretty early, to be quite honest, but when it's been competitive, the defense's stats is, you know, they're, they're a lot better. You know, so a lot of their defensive numbers that don't look so appealing on paper when you just look in total, you have to contextualize that and say, yeah, but how much of that came in blowout games where the second or third team was in there? And the answer is a lot. So against each other, against the higher heightened competition and what will probably be a competitive game wire to wire, I'm certainly expecting it to be that way with two great quarterbacks and offenses in particular. Uh, the defenses, I think, is where you don't just point to where a weakness could be, but to where really the deciding factor is going to be because how, how can you really say, well, one quarterback simply plays better than the other? Well, in order to do that, it's, it's probably going to be a little bit on the opposing defense and who comes up with a stop uh, or multiple stops or the takeaway or the big third down play or whatever it is, probably in the second half, either in a massive moment at home for Washington uh, or in one of the most hostile environments uh, Oregon could come up with, uh, certainly on the road in Seattle. James, how much do you think that Oregon looks at that Arizona tape and, and kind of sees how they were sitting back and you know saw how Washington really had to work for yards? I mean, it still piled up numbers, but it was obviously a closer game. Is there anything to that, or is that just you know one week that worked and it probably won't work the next time around? Yeah, you know, I, and it's one of those that like it's hard to to necessarily on two fronts it's hard to know uh because 
I, I don't want to confuse what Arizona does uh, defensively with what Oregon does defensively. Sure. Um, they're, they're really not very similar, to be quite honest with you, um, in terms of, of, of scheme and strategy and, and really top-to-bottom personnel. Uh, that said, yeah, you try to pick up on and see, like, with with what little success opposing defenses have had against Washington so far, how do they go about doing it? I don't think Oregon's defense is built to just sit back the way that Arizona did, as much as it did, did do it exclusively. But I don't think they're really built and engineered that way. I don't think their strategy uh, so far has, has been that way by any stretch. Um, I think they're just playing more talented that allows them to, to do a few more things either by rushing three, but really mainly rushing four. Uh, and yes, that they've dialed up a few more blitzes this season than they did a year ago. Uh, not wildly so, not haphazardly, but they've been able to generate more pressure more consistently. Again, yes, against some inferior competition. I, I don't look past that at all. Uh, because look, an FCS opponent, Hawaii, Stanford, and Colorado, I mean, if you look at how many negative plays those teams have allowed, it, it's not good. <laughs> so Oregon was one of many teams to, to do those things against those teams. So don't want to get too far off the handle in terms of, well, their defense is putting up all these kind of disruptive plays, so therefore they'll just be able to do it. I don't know about that. You know, we have to see against a far better offensive line. But to your question, to your point, uh, will they try to mimic some of the things Arizona may have done? I- I'm interested to see that myself. More, less so in, in just merely dropping eight or, or even dropping seven at times. More so in some of the strategy of personnel. And like I say, it's hard to necessarily gauge that because, one, you just haven't seen an offense like this yet. And two, because what? You, if you ask <laughs> – if you ask a coach in the middle of the week, hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> in this massive game, you want to you uh, let us know about some strategy that right, you haven't shown yeah. on tape yet? Uh, yeah. um, but I am interested to see because they're both coming off bye weeks uh, and they've both been in blowouts a lot. So how much have they been holding back uh, for a game like this? Some things defensively on both sides that maybe you see a little bit more exotic by way of personnel. Maybe you see not just dime packages, six DBs, but is there a seventh or even eighth defensive back on the field in certain situations against two really prolific quarterbacks and passing offenses? Haven't seen that this season from Oregon. Haven't needed to see that from Oregon. You saw that in select spots from Arizona. That's the one part that I'd be most interested to see from Oregon's defense uh, in terms of personnel on Saturday. James, the, uh, the the Dan Lanning, obviously, and, and what he's done there. Uh, last year, they had that they got boat raced early by Georgia. I know they lost to Oregon State. No one ever wants to do that. Lost to Washington in a shootout uh, at home. But how much street cred, if he needed that at all, did he get by the way he approached the week of Colorado and said he doesn't apologize for anything and just went straight into it and how he handled that week? Nationally, uh, I'm, I'm sure there was some because to, 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 po- to this point in the season, uh, that was the largest television audience for a college football game this season. Uh, so I'm sure nationally, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how much that week did anything to change anything on the ground here in Eugene, in the building, among the fan base or anything of the like, because there was nothing that was really 
I mean, go back to the summer and the whole, like, well, what have they done to affect this conference? We're referring to when Colorado had left and it was before Oregon and Washington left to, to go to the Big Ten, right in between. That wasn't a shot at Deion Sanders. You know, everything from that game week became, like, unbelievable attempts to find slights in any which way, which was kind of ridiculous. Um, it just wasn't. Now, yeah, the, in, the you know, pregame speech and, you know, they're rooted in substance and, you know, they're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. That speech, that bit, that bit, that gets on national TV. No doubt. From a national, you know, when you have 10 million people watching, does that earn you some something by way of reputation and get bounced around from television to social media and all the rest? Sure. No doubt about it. But like I say, on the local level, though, I, I think this fan base was already very much well behind Danning and his staff yep. to where I'm not sure that Bottom line, guys, if we go back throughout the entirety of the offseason, put Colorado's remarkable 3-0 start aside, and I take nothing away from it. He's done a tremendous job. What Dion and his staff and the players there have done so far, outstanding. But Oregon was expected to boat race Colorado all offseason. That was a team that came in at 3-0 who had completely overperformed in getting there, and, and credit to them. But that was a meeting of three and O teams where one team was supposed to be three and O and the other team was supposed to be one and two. And the outcome was as if Colorado was one and two. It was what it was. I, I didn't make more of it myself. And I, honestly, I don't think among the local fans uh, and the local audience that that was viewed as some unbelievable accomplishment. Um, I, I think it was kept in a proper degree of context. And you saw after the game, Lanning's tone was far more like, hey, this is just one game. Let's not make this out to be more than what it was. Um, he, you know, he took kind of a very different approach and tone afterward. And I think one that, that spoke to what I'm getting at here is like 10 million people watched. They got to observe something. But I, I don't think it really swayed and moved the needle that much on the local level because it was already pretty extreme uh, in that regard. James, do you have any inside or just thoughts on the Oregon state Washington state lawsuit with the, the PAC 12 and, and where I know their mediation has been agreed to or, or whatever, but where, where that kind of ends. I am as curious as the next uh, in terms of where, where it ends to that point. And part of the complexity of all of this, isn't just the money. Let's not I mean. Let's not kid ourselves. The money's the money's the driving factor. Um, if there weren't so much at stake, and if there weren't existential crises uh, facing Oregon State and Washington State, you know, it, it would not be uh, as as severe. But it is. But part of the complexity of all of this is the money combined with real and true ambiguity uh, in terms of what does happen under this scenario in any number of things, in any number of factors. Um, a lot of this stuff, you know, blame whoever you want to blame. For those who are in the blame business, have at it. But the bottom line is, is a lot of this stuff is not written down in bylaws and spelled out in this level of specificity for this scenario. The bylaws talk about dissolving the league in the event of dissolution, what happens. Well, right now, to the moment, that hasn't happened. So what happens when 
10 out of 12 entities leave and two for the moment have not dissolved the league. What happens to the revenues? What happens to not for nothing? The thing that we're all forgetting about the liabilities, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what, what happens to any number of things uh, in that regard in the short term, in the immediate. And that's why it's ending up in a courtroom. So to your question, do I have any insight as to exactly where it's going to go? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. Um, and because and if I were, uh, <laughs> I, I don't envy the lawyers who are connected to any number of the schools. Uh, and I totally understand the perspective of all the parties involved. If you're Oregon State and Washington State, you're going to do everything in your legal power to protect yourselves uh, and your ability to get every last dollar you possibly can facing the, the level of financial crisis that they're going to be facing. And if you're the 10 departing schools, you're going to be doing everything in your power collectively to say, hey, wait a minute, we're still in a league today. We didn't forego our ability to control and have say in what happens in the league we're still in today. And the argument is, yeah, but some of the decisions you may make today may affect not only y'all's future, but the future of those who haven't chose to leave just yet. And that's why, like I say, that's why it's ended up in a courtroom and I don't pretend to have the answers. And the thing is, is I'm not sure that any number of the legal uh, minds <laughs> who are part of the process um, have the definitive answer because it's always going to be shaped by whatever's best suiting them. And as I say, it's not laid out in the league's bylaws and contracts and any number of things. Some of these things are not spelled out in terms of what happens. All right, James Penix. Caleb, Nix, Cam Ward. It doesn't even include Cam Rising because he hasn't played. DJ Ugalele has played well. Separate them for me. Shadur. Shadur. My yeah. God. Sanders, Shador, Colorado. Uh, Jaden Rashada yeah. and Dante Moore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you separate? Can you imagine the first team? I, Williams, the defending or reigning Heisman winner, but try to put that together for some kind of postseason team or the who's going to get to New York City? Yeah, and I think ultimately, uh, certainly, whichever of whatever of the triad of uh, Caleb uh, Penix and Nix, whichever of the three has the most success in the head-to-head matchups, uh, will certainly make it to New York. I would be mystified if if one of them manages to go two and zero, and then uh, particularly win a conference championship, you know, potentially three and zero against the others. There's no way that that quarterback's not going. I mean, that would be truly mystifying (laughs) for that to occur. Um, I think right now, if I, you know, entering this game, obviously this game will be one of several that has a huge, huge say in the whole matter. Um, I think that the winner of this one obviously puts themselves potentially in the outright driver's seat, if not certainly no less than uh, second to Caleb Williams, if not on completely equal footing or, or ahead of. Uh, for the time being, but I don't think barring barring the loser having just a downright awful day where they're you know intercepted multiple times and it's a, a blowout somehow, I, I don't think the loser of this game will be completely disqualified from the equation. So I think there's a chance right now that all three of these quarterbacks could end up uh, in New York, quite frankly. Um, and as I say, I think maybe if there's a true divide between the teams, uh, by the end of it, where the two who managed to make it through to the Pac-12 championship game and whoever of the three of them is not represented there, 
because of their individual performance. Again, if they were intercepted several times in, in the two most critical games, um, or three for that matter, then yeah, then I could see that quarterback being left out. But I think ultimately the quarterbacks of whichever two teams of the three most likely uh, to end up in the Pac-12 championship game will probably both end up in New York. And quite frankly, whoever ends up winning the Pac-12 championship game will probably end up being the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, in my opinion. I, I just think that the caliber of quarterback play in this league, uh, as we've mentioned all offseason long, this was expected. Maybe not 80% completions for Bo Nix, maybe not similar, nearly 80% completion for uh, Michael Penix in terms of on second down, on first down, he's, I believe, around 75, and then leading the country in passing yards. Maybe not every stat line, but in terms of overall performance, this is hardly a shock that, that these three quarterbacks and others in this league are playing really, really well. I think all three could make it. I think the two who play for the conference title game will make it, and I think the one who wins the whole thing uh, will be the one who wins the league. James, as always, great stuff. Enjoy covering what will be one hell of a game, we think, and uh, we appreciate your time and hopefully have you on again down the road if Oregon keeps on doing what they're doing and obviously with bigger games down the road too. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. too. James Crepia, the Oregonian. Oregon-Washington will play on Saturday, number what, seven against number eight, both in the top ten, both five and oh. Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, one, this is going to be an incredible game because I do think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask him, and it just doesn't – because I just felt like it would be kind of a stupid question, but how much does home field matter here, you know, with the game being in Seattle? Uh, how much will that come into play? But, I mean, I don't know. I just think, you know, it's, it's two really good teams, and there's so many interesting aspects of, of it is for both of them, have you – Y'all seen what awaits after for both yeah. of these teams? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Oregon plays at Washington, then they host Washington State, and then they go to Utah. That's three top 20 games in a row. They get Cal, but they still have SC, who's number 10 right now. They still have Oregon State. So they've got, including this game, five top 25 games, top 20 games on paper remaining. And the same goes for Washington. They're, they play Oregon. They get Arizona State and Stanford, right? Their final four games at Southern Cal versus Utah at Oregon State and versus Washington State. Literally the murderer's row. The only difference being there's like a buffer between those four and the two weeks in between this Saturday and those four. But, I mean, the Pac-12 down the stretch is going to be – obviously those numbers will change because they're all going to beat up on each other. Like these two are going to – somebody's taking their first loss. But that final month, I don't know how intentional that was. But, like, that's, that final month for Washington, USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, other than having Oregon in that, like, how could you have done that any better than, than that's done right now? Well, you there? probably I mean, couldn't, and that's with Utah not even being healthy. Uh, and right. By, by then, maybe they will be. Man, yeah. Man. Mm. But, you know, also, too, on the, the I like that he just said, I don't know, on the Washington State, Oregon State thing, because it is a very complex situation, and... You can see the arguments on the side of Oregon State and Washington State where they're saying, well, hey, they said that they're leaving, and so that means that the voting rights are ours, and we get to decide what happens with all the money, and we get all that. But then you see on the other side of, like, we didn't give, like, the notice in the way that you're alleging. Like, yeah, we had to make plans because there's nothing that exists after this. Like, this is literally the last year. So there are no TV rights beyond 23. There are, you know, so it's a very interesting issue in that you can make a case – very easily for both sides, but you're going to have to have a judge and somebody you know in the legal well, realm decide because it is a bit of a messy situation, but it's a huge decision being made. Yeah, if the 10 that are leaving 
their position is that as long as we leave, I believe it's August first is the day they would the, the, the contract it's is either June, July, or August. Yeah, one so of I think three, it's yeah. I, like what I think it read is like theirs is August first. But okay. uh, so if they left on August second, then they're fine. And nothing's going on on August 2nd, so they can still make plans. So it's not like as long as they're not doing anything, you know, within the bounds that would overlap that contract, they're not in breach. Unless there's something in the bylaws yeah. that down deep inside, uh, you know, in between the three cabinets and a couple of filing uh, files that there's something in there but, that allows. But we would have known, someone would have brought that but, up or found that but, by now. My guess is, much like the ACC grant of rights, these things are written ambiguously for just these mm-hmm. things. But when it's over, then it's over. Like, that's that's the point of having the end to a contract right. and that things just don't last in perpetuity. Otherwise, no one would be able to leave because you would just be like, well, you you signed in blood here. Yeah. So, like, you can't announce the Big Ten move until after the football season's over with just – for the sake of what? I mean, exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's weird. It's, it very much is like in the eye of the beholder, Paul. Like yeah. how you want to read it. If you're an Oregon State and Washington State fan, you're like, they declared intent. Yeah. They gave notice. And then all the other ten are like, no, we're just telling you, like, we're going to be somewhere else next year because this isn't going to exist. <laughs> what, happened, like, what happened in the Mountain West when San Diego State did that, right? That they were... Well, yeah, it turned yeah. into a whole thing. So, yeah, this is, this is a whole thing of its own. And uh, there will be... You know, a major decision made uh, here in the coming weeks and months. Uh, obviously, is they're they're very deep in the process right now. But yeah, I mean, the Oregon State Washington State hope is that they get like three hundred plus million dollars and the TV network, and they you know get all that comes. They basically get everything. They get everything, all the money, all the TV stuff, and then the other ten are like, no, we still deserve some of the money. Like we still get some of it on the way out, and we can decide like how all of it's split up. But yeah, that's that's basically what it boils down to is who owns what, and obviously for um, you know all involved, the money is important. Um, but for those two in particular, I mean, it's everything. Like this decision is everything in, in so many ways for them um, because they're either going to have like you know a hand of just offsuits and nothing matches up, or they're going to have like a royal flush with three hundred million dollars in a TV network and all this other jazz. Now I don't know where the TV network without a contract and without I don't know how all that works. I won't pretend to, but yeah, you're going to have a, a full backpack of, of goodies, or you're going to have an, an empty bag, and and obviously having the full one would be a lot more appealing if you're Oregon State and Washington State for your future and what you could possibly do. Yeah, who I don't like. Okay, so say you get the TV network in the name, and then you. You convince the Mountain West to merge with you and you become the Pac-12 again or Pac whatever you number you decide you're going to do. Then how, like, but if the contract was up, then that's a new media deal. Yeah, like the cable so the, companies, are they carrying the Pac whatever network? Yeah, Is like that, that even, yeah. That's, that, so that's a new thing. So with your media rights deal being up, right. and that's what this is about, then I don't know where that, like, you know, other than NCAA tournament units, which might, overlap or something like yeah, that. I, that i i don't i don't know yeah i mean that's that's and that's why it's kind of a you know a whatever side you want to pick there's a compelling argument for why they deserve everything or why they don't deserve everything but that's yeah yeah for a judge to decide here in the mediation that they're obviously having discussions about how all that's going to work but that is going to be a fascinating you know, result when the time comes, whenever that time comes here in the next, you know, few weeks or whatever. But yeah, if uh, it does. I do have a question about like the, the Pac-12 network and like, uh, you know, with that being up, I guess the benefit is you have like all the, the tools and the cameras, but I don't know, like, 
I don't know. It's it's do very very curious how it's all all do that's going to work. Do they yeah. need that? Um, the tools and cameras. Do the cable they, companies even yeah broadcast it? Because there's there's yes, yeah, it's, it's all very uh, much up in the air. There's a Colorado note we want to get to today. We'll have much more and many more guests tomorrow. But this is from Colorado football. The uh, the Instagram of Colorado started out with fifty eight thousand. Paul, what was it? 58,000 subscribers. And how many do they have now? A million. A million. And that, of course, is just yet another uh, milestone of the social media and the attention of what they're getting with, of course, the success despite the losses they had back-to-back weeks to, what, Oregon and also USC. Well, some social media coordinator's got a great thing to put on his resume and just don't, you know, never mind the fact that there's a bigger reason than your skills, but it's going to look really good for yeah. for a few people when they're like, yeah, I was in the Colorado social team. We went from 58,000 on Instagram to a million plus. Wow, how did that happen? Well, it's just well, we good brand, Center, but never mind. Good brand strategy. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was just what we did. We really, you know, honed into what people liked. What did people like, Deion Sanders? Deion Sanders. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, but no, I bet I bet that's a fun ride for those yeah. folks. I mean, can you imagine being the Instagram person oh. like a year ago versus well, hell, doing one of them it is now? Deion Jr. I bet it's addictive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, S. Michael DeHart saying, I was hoping you guys would get somebody on from West Virginia playing Houston tomorrow night. Uh, we have not set up our entire guest schedule for tomorrow night. We appreciate that. We have had a ton of coverage, of course, in analysts and segments for West Virginia so far, really for the, like quite a bit of time. It's not a marquee game, but it is a solo game. I didn't think about that. It's a, a night Thursday night game, and so stay tuned hey, for that. Um, by the way, just before we go to the top five, um, Deion Sanders has ripped the late kickoff for Colorado versus Stanford, 8 p.m. local time. Uh Said it's the dumbest thing ever and the stupidest thing ever invented in life. He asked about viewership on the East Coast because they even care about ratings or anybody watching. Um, what we do, what, what are we supposed to do with kids all day until 8 o'clock, he asked. And then uh, what are you supposed to do in the hotel? And then he said, oh, I'm trying to find the exact quote, but basically said, I can't wait until we're in the Big 12. All right, there you go. Well, breaking news, Dion. I don't think that all the kickoffs are going to be noon or 3.30, buddy. Just saying. Yeah, you might be playing in Provo, and that's a 7.30 or 8 o'clock, or 7 o'clock kick or whatever, which is 8 o'clock, well, for, for 7, both of them mountain time. But, okay. When we come back, that's pretty cool. Good for Dion bringing up the Big 12. When we come back, Paul Catalina's top five this is 365 Sports, and PettyClinicLowT.com can help you become the high-performance man you want to be, need to be, used to be. All you have to do is contact them. If you have any of these symptoms, you don't sleep quite as well. Uh, your energy is not what it used to be. You just don't have the same focus, and your sex drive has dropped in whatever ways. Dr. Kent Petty at PettyClinicLowT.com can help you out by contacting him, them, his staff, Online at PettyClinicLowT.com and tell them I sent you. Dr. Petty will help you and the staff set up for you to go get your blood work. They will take care of that. You get your blood work. You show up for that. They get the results and Dr. Petty will see whether your testosterone level is too low. And if it is, as an option for you with uh, 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 the chance to increase your testosterone level. 
it, it is something that is, you look at all the various events now on TV, or the, there's constantly stories about ED and much more, and part of that is the lack of testosterone. Dr. Pet, Kent Petty can help you with that. Get the blood work. He'll take care of it. He'll get the results and contact you. PettyClinicLowT.com. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDI see an equal housing lender. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrip off I-35 in Carrollton. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa draft, son, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Next to the line. It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top five teams on upset alert. Now, some of these games, this is kind of a strange week because um, I do think there might be something in here I'm not I'm not catching, but I do think that this is kind of a weird week where there's not a lot of gap in some of these teams or they're at like or the gap is like so huge that I wouldn't be comfortable saying that they're on upset alert. But number five, Tennessee, three and a half point favorites over Texas A and M. Um neither of these teams are really all that exciting right now. Uh but I, I just have a feeling that even at uh, at home, Tennessee's in trouble here because I think a and going to want to wash off that game last week. But, um, you know, we'll see. Is Alabama going to beat A&M twice now that they've put themselves behind the eight ball in the SEC West and they don't want to do it again? Uh, Tennessee 
is kind of floating through here right now, and this would be probably their best win so far this season. It would definitely be their best win so far this season. So we'll see what happens with them, but they are certainly on upset alert this week because they are the favorite uh, over A&M as we head into the week. Yeah, I don't think that they're super heavy favorites, as you pointed yeah. out. I think this is almost close to a pick em type of yeah. a, a game in some ways. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to be on upset alert as you are the, the slight favorite. Been a long time uh, coming, I think, for, uh, you know, Tennessee to get a win uh, over A&M. So, um, yeah, this is be a, it's, it's just weird that this game's not nearly that hyped. Like, you know, like this is kind of goes to my argument of, like, if everything's a big deal, is anything a big deal? Yeah. And so when you talk about, like, the Super League and, and whatnot or, or whatever, like Tennessee A&M feels like it should be a monster game, but it doesn't – it just feels like it's a kind of another game that's, that's on the schedule. But, you know, on paper, it's, it's super interesting. And, you know, like you said, Tennessee hasn't – like, compared to last year, I mean, last year they were the bee's knees and they were all over the place and everything was cool and – and it's been much quieter, but you know they lost some, a lot of star power. Whereas for A and M, I mean they need a win. Uh, well, if this was an NFL game, like Matt Rule was talking about, you could lose two or three games. If this was an NFL game, this would be a highlighted huge game. game. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. you you it, it, I know it's different, but yeah, both this is a mu- is it a must? I hate that use term must win. Must win for who? If one of A&M. the two, I am. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be their third loss. You know, like they can't. Like, you know, it's a must win. I'll tell you, it's a must win for Jimbo Fisher. Yes. because yes. he in particular needs to show that okay, you can lose a game and then you can go beat a team that I think most that you're pretty even with uh, in, in Tennessee. So anyway, number four, Wazoo. They play Arizona this week. They are eight point favorites uh, right now, but Arizona is knocking on the door of getting that win yep. uh, for Jed Fish. And so Wazoo, while they're at home, like all the eight-point favorite, they're, and they're really good. You've heard me sing the praises of Cam Ward constantly. I think I mentioned him in the top five yesterday. But they do have to be on upset alert because Arizona, USC, I mean, uh, Washington, they are knocking on the door. They've lost by nine points combined, Washington and Southern Cal. Yeah, USC. so if you're Wazoo, you better watch out because they're they're chomping at the bit to get one, and you're the next team in the way. No, they're uh, they're feisty, and they're capable of knocking you off. They haven't been able to like you know pull off the full meal deal just yet. But, yeah, I think Washington has to be cognizant of that and you know look at kind of how they defended USC. I was talking about earlier. They just sort of like just sat back and like, hey, you got to beat us in front of us. Um, and we're able to kind of contain Washington a little bit better that way. But obviously, you know, different teams, different strategies and whatnot. But, I mean, they've been competitive, and they are kind of on that that cusp of, like, getting that big win that you can really, you know, rally around and, and get excited about. It was a bummer, though, for uh, for Arizona earlier this week. They lost their big five-star commit in Elijah Rushing. I saw that. Looks yep. like he could be leaning to Oregon. Uh, so that was that was a bummer because that's a big deal for Arizona. That's yeah. a big deal for the Big 12 with Arizona rolling in to get a big five-star guy like that for Jetfish. So that, that was a bummer. But, man, go beat Wazoo, and, and you'll be feeling a little bit better about things. And they're playing without Deloria, right? And, and then the Fafita – is playing the quarterback position and playing okay. Jaden Delore is a fun, fun, fun player, but he's also a headache at the same time. He, um, you, you t- you're on a roller coaster. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Very, very much so. so yes. Sometimes it's fun and sometimes you get nauseous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sometimes you, you, you're just hair's blowing and you're loving the ride, and sometimes you realize, like, oh, the metal bar's not down. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, hold on to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to ride again. I'm getting sick. Right. Number three. 
TCU, uh, this line moved a little bit, now down to four and a half, but they're at a flashpoint in their season to me right now where they're sitting at three and three. They definitely did not expect to be three and three. They got beaten up against um, Iowa State last week. BYU comes in, and TCU's going to be playing with their backup quarterback. BYU would be the first new Big 12 team to get a win over an existing an old school Big 12 team. And TCU seems on a two, like, especially on the two game skid, very vulnerable right now, even at home, given everything that's going on here. And BYU could be get, I mean, getting hungry for that first, you know, hey, we're, we're in this conference too with you guys now win. I think TCU is at a very vulnerable spot in their season. Yeah, we forget sometimes they weren't even an original old TCU. Yeah. They were a That's second true. wave yeah. uh, like West Virginia. But, yeah, I, I definitely think this is worthy of upset watch. I just can't imagine TCU's not going to play a much better game than they played against Iowa State. But crazier things have happened. Like, how are they going to play with a different quarterback, you know, for an entire stretch? Um, and the Chandler Morris news stinks. But, you know, last week that was bad, man. They had four picks. He's hurt. I mean, just the – that, that was just a really stunning result t- to me mm-hmm. um, last week, uh, them losing to Iowa State. So, yeah, I think it's very fair to put them uh, on upset watch. And BYU's a team that's been kind of harder to project. Like, how good are they really? Like, they're good, um, but, like, how good are they? You know what I mean? Like, how good are they really? And I think we're still wondering that about TCU as well. So, yeah, this is, this is going to be a really interesting result in Fort Worth on uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Number two, and this line has moved from one to three and a half, but Kansas going to Oklahoma State, look, man, they're, they're not going to have Jalen Daniels. Um, I don't think we can count on that. They're not going to have him. Uh, and Oklahoma State is just one of the hardest places to play. Uh, I think maybe outside Big 12 circles, people don't understand, but like going into Stillwater, you are going into a place where um, – Banging so- stupid wooden paddles on the <laughs> padding. The yeah, all that stuff. And the – what you've done to that point seemingly defies logic when you get there. It's such a like, it's it's like the twilight zone mm-hmm. in Stillwater. It's, that, it is an afternoon game, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's and that's good news. Um, you know, I, I guess. I mean, I mean, you're gonna get drunk. You're gonna get drunk. But uh, you know, maybe they're not quite well, as drunk fun. at night is worse than drunk <laughs> yeah. during the day, right? I mean, <laughs> I guess it depends on your perspective. Yeah, but, I guess. Yeah, but depends. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, Kansas here, like they, I, they've got to be careful because I, you know, with Jason Bean, Jalen Daniels is in this game. I may not have put them on there because I just think that he's going to play much better than Alan Bowman. But Oklahoma State might have found where their lane is now with what they can do. So we'll see. I think Kansas, Kansas, got to be wary going to. Everybody has to be wary going to Stillwater, but especially this week. Yeah, and I say the stupid wooden paddles lovingly because yeah. that is a, a great feature of, of games there. And uh, I say that probably out of frustration because I my one memory of going to Stillwater was their big upset win over Baylor um, when um, Bryce Petty and company were just kind of rolling along and then they yep. played them at night and it got into be an ugly, ugly game in favor of the Cowboys. And uh, you always hear about those wooden paddles. So, yeah, I think that'll be a great environment, certainly much better than it would have been had Oklahoma State not won last week. But now that they've won, it's like, all right, what is this, like you said, Paul, what is this turning into? Is, yeah. is this turning into something? Are they, like, on track now? Or is that is that a blip last week? Like, what is that exactly? Uh, but Alan Bowman has been okay. Um, I think that, you know, him and, and Jason Bean are – 
both pretty good quarterbacks. But, yeah, I mean, this this is definitely a, an upset watch game if you're Kansas because I don't know how much better they really are. And I do think rolling into Stillwater after they got a big win and maybe kind of righted the ship um, is is dangerous territory for sure. So, yeah, this will be very interesting. Number one, North Carolina. They roll in uh, three-and-a-half-point favorites right now against Miami. And the reason I say this, other than, look, I think Miami's probably better than they showed last week against Georgia Tech, but I, I know this like I know my name. If there's ever been a game that Mario Cristobal and Shannon Dawson will be at their pinnacle coaching, like mentally, mental clarity, and please shut up about everything, will be this week. So, I mean, of course, selling it to the players, because it is one thing to like, you know, we've all heard the coaches say like, listen, we lost this game. It's my fault. I didn't put you guys in a good position to win and all that. And then at the end of the day, like nobody really takes that. Like just, it's what you say to make people feel better because, you know, how many times can you as a coach walk into a room and go, listen, this was your fault because you didn't have the effort. Like you can go in, but there's a very specific reason that Miami lost that game, and it was the coaches. So they have to this week win back the trust of their players a little bit. Not, I don't think it's irreparable. I think everybody's going to get over it. But I think that Mario Cristobal and Shannon Dawson will be so focused this week that they they will have all the eyes dotted and t's crossed, like maybe never in their lives before. I would think so. Um, I, I, I think, you know, you kind of can lose sight of Miami that they were that stupid coaching decision away from being 5-0. and oh. I mean, like, everybody's laughing at the loss and everything. It's like, but, yeah, they were that close to being unbeaten at nearly the halfway point. So this is going to be a great game. UNC is unbeaten. Uh, so that, that stupid result, like, took some of the sizzle off of this game. But there should still be just as much, even though Miami's got the one in the loss column now. Yeah, this is going to be great. Um, obviously a, a huge showcase for Drake May and Miami. I think, like you said, they're going to be chomping at the bit and embarrassed and ready to get that bad taste out of their mouth. So this ought to be a lot of fun at Chapel Hill. All right. Thank you, Paxton, by the way, in the uh, chat room with a faux pas uh, typo, said he was going to bet $1,000 this weekend on USC. He meant UNC. Well, uh, he said USC uh, number six. UNC, USC was actually fifth on this list, and then I looked. Notre Dame is the favorite in that game. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites really? right uh, now, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's a game. There's another game that's not getting much attention. That It's a great rivalry. Maybe it is uh, in some ways, but that, that's something we need to talk about. We'll have our college picks, by the way, tomorrow uh, inside not just the Big 12, but also look at the national games. What do we have? We have SC, Notre Dame, UCLA, and Oregon State. Washington, Oregon, TCU, Brigham Young, and, and UNC Miami. We're changing that one. That North was, Carolina and Miami. Yeah. That's right. So we'll be, we'll get an update on the standings and much much more. Didn't mention also tomorrow. North Carolina will have Tez Walker playing there you uh, go. versus Miami. So that's going to be his big you know debut there for the Tar Heels. So I'd imagine that'll pour a little extra energy on this as well. He had one catch last week, but he didn't play much. Okay. So yeah, yeah he had one. I think he had one or two catches last week. He didn't play much um, because you know. Easing back into things. Yeah, And I guess he's a full go or however you want to describe yeah. that. But, yeah, I wonder how much of a dynamic he makes, how quickly, and if that ends up mattering in the long run, all of the hand-wringing over what would have been or could have been in the first half of the season. They've managed it pretty well. So, yeah, not sure how much that matters. But notable, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that game. That's a big one out in the ACC. Thank you to those who are still with us from the fact that we started at 3 tomorrow, Paul, at triple option at 1 o'clock until 2. 
My high school week number eight podcast will go up on the, uh, what, eight, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Yep. Uh, and uh, we'll, we featured a couple of guys, last name Kevin Johnson and K-Rod Johnson, the former Baylor and Quero defensive lineman. That's on a separate reel, but under 365 Sports. For Craig Smoke and Paul Catalina, for our great sponsors, thanks to our guests, Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Levi, and Emery. Sports tonight, tonight on the CW at 1030. Have a great night and good night.